professional wrestling's number one program is off and on the air. Welcome to WCW Monday Nitro as we come to you from a sold-out Jacksonville Coliseum in the Sunshine State of Jacksonville, Florida. Hour number one, live on TNT, is underway. This is Tony Schiavone, along with the living legend, Larry Zabisco. Fans from two states, from Florida and Georgia, have been lining circles around the building all day to get the last remaining tickets to see Nitro live. And Larry, what a program we have here tonight. Well, Tony, I've seen everybody back there. No telling what's going to happen on Nitro. And we got a big match to start off with, in my mind, the best bruiserweight in the world. Welcome to Where the Big Boys Play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro. Our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show, where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, it's my broadcast colleagues, the brothers of Reconstruction themselves, Dave and John Amantorp. What's good, gentlemen? I don't understand the reference. <laughs> okay, so I didn't think anyone would, but yeah. I still th thought it was clever, and as long as I'm making myself laugh, it's uh -huh. in there. So the Brothers of Destruction were a tag team of oh. Kane and the Undertaker. Okay. Now what I've done is because we're coming immediately after a reference to the Southern Front, mm. I've called you the Brothers of Reconstruction. Mm. Uh, Reconstruction, of course, referring to the period in the American South following the Civil War in which uh, buildings were repaired, cities rebuilt, et cetera, et cetera. It just was kind of a southern front thing uh -huh. into reconstruction. Uh, and I'm realizing that if anyone ever listens to an episode where I say it that's not this one and that's their first episode, they'll have no idea what it means either. So oh, that's fine. back Compliment to the drawing accepted. board, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say that I'm doing really well because we're – we're kind of like uh, it's like our first like the wrestling version of an outdoor show. Yeah, yeah. We're in Tim's garage with the garage door open, and it's a nice day out. And not only that, but my wrestling world has finally been blessed with a new Steiner in yes. wrestling. And that, and even though he is in the WWE umbrella, it's still super exciting. And yeah. I really enjoyed it, and I don't know if that's going to be something we'll talk about here or on Worldwide as far as, like, what's going on now. I'll let you talk about it on Worldwide. We'll have we'll have a Braun Breaker corner. Yes. <laughs> Might even see some other Steiners during this episode today. Oh, yeah. There's always the – when it, we're at, at this time in WCW, there's always the threat of the Steiner brothers showing up. <laughs> it's like they always said, anything can happen in world championship wrestling. And it always involves the Steiners. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get into today's show, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 years of nitro. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro. And you can email the show at 20 years of nitro uh -huh. <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> Uh, professional wrestling's number one program is on the air because today is February 10th, 1997, and we are coming to you live from the Jacksonville, from the Jacksonville Coliseum in Jacksonville, Florida, in front of 7,669 fans, 5,924 of whom paid 
for a total gate of $65,134. Now, I feel like especially since we turned the calendar over to 1997, Every week, I really wanted to talk about like how hot the crowd is. Yeah. But now, it just I think that's just the standard for their shows now. They're everywhere they're going. They're having these really active crowds that are just adding like so much to yeah. the viewing experience. But it's, yeah, spoiler this week, great crowd. Yep, awesome. So I always like to look up a little something about the building. Uh, and do you guys want to have any guesses about what importance the Jacksonville Coliseum has to WCW? Is that where Julius Caesar was stabbed? Yeah. Or is that a different Coliseum? <laughs> different Coliseum. <laughs> Jacksonville. Um. <gasps> is this where uh, Kevin Green came out and asked about Goldberg? Is that that <laughs> hey, happened? you guys like Goldberg? <laughs> <laughs> this will eventually be the site of Greed, the company's final pay-per-view oh. in March of 2001. Okay. That's my next guess. That was, right, that was right on the tip of my tongue. This is the 74th episode of WCW Monday Nitro, and we can bid continue the build to Super Brawl 7, which will be in 23 days. Uh, just because I didn't make a note of it, but I do want to... Re- it, it stuck out to me. Did you guys notice that at one point tonight... You know, we've talked about how Super Brawl is numbered, mm-hmm. unlike the other pay-per-views. There's a time tonight where um, Shivani says something about Uncensored 3. Yeah. And <laughs> it's like, oh, wow, okay, so are they... Maybe it was something they were going to try for a little bit, was yeah, uh, numbering was during, the pay-per-views. It was during the tag team match, the Benoit and Chavo. He mentions Uncensored 3, yeah. which makes it sound more like a movie, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it does. And it, just, it, just, it's, it sounded weird, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, I mean, the super, like Super Brawl, we're really used to it being like, here's a pay-per-view that's not really important, but we're going to number it as though it's important anyway. But, like, yeah, I definitely noticed <laughs> Uncensored 3. The nice thing with Super Brawl is at least the numbers line up with the year. So it's not like Super Brawl 9 in 1997. <laughs> it's really easy to keep track because it's a Super Brawl 7, right? Yep. Yeah. It's in 97. So. And, and uh, if anything, that was like a thing to differentiate it from other yeah. pay-per-views. Honestly, it works. I like it. Yeah. I like it. I love it. I want some more of it. <laughs> Pyro and Ballyhoo starts the show along with an amped Tony Schiavone. He is joined by Larry Zabisco, who puts over the entering Dean Malenko as the best cruiserweight in the world. Tony agrees that Dean is the best by virtue of his being the champion, but points out that Malenko enters without his championship belt, which was stolen one week ago by the NWO Six. The Iceman... The Iceman's opponent tonight is a previous victim of Six's belt-thieving ways... The United States champion, Eddie Guerrero. This is a rematch of a match from WCW Saturday Night, which aired two nights ago on the 6th of February, which resulted in a time limit draw. This is the eighth time these two have faced each other in singles competition on WCW television, the most recent being just five weeks ago when Dean defeated Eddie at the Superdome in New Orleans on Nitro. Before Eddie's introduction, however, Dean grabs a mic. Oh, are you putting an audio clip in there? Yep. Nice. Yeah. If, if, if Dean Malenko gives a promo. I'm it's putting it in. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Malenko says that if Six is anywhere in the building, he had better be paying attention. He gives Six an open invitation for tonight, or any night, for a lesson in both wrestling and respect. Yeah. Awesome. I feel, I feel like he's kind of on the same lines of like Chris Benoit, where it's like, 
all right, you got the right information out there. Yeah. Don't make a mistake by going any longer or adding more thoughts to it than you need to. Yeah, you're holding your breath a little bit. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. The bell rings, and as the men circle, Tony tells us that Roddy Piper is here tonight, as is Ric Flair, plus Tony promises tremendous wrestling action. Mm. The future radicals lock up, and Eddie goes behind for a waist lock. Dean escapes with a wrist lock into a hammer lock, but Eddie escapes by what's basically a stunner, except on impact, Dean rolls forward over Eddie's shoulder and somersaults away. It's like, it's as if he's getting stunnered, but, like, that's a counter to it, is just, like, kind of figuring out how to somersault out of the stunner. Like mm-hmm. a flying snapmare, something like that. Yeah. Tony says that we'll also see Lex Luger tonight for an update on his condition after last week's pipe attack by Hall and Nash. Whoa. Just, I am good. <laughs> I, I yeah, had yeah, I'm just, just Oh, okay, good. A drop to a hold and a chin lock by Dean, a reverse quickly by Eddie, and they chain wrestle a bit before getting back to their feet. Another Malenko wrist lock is countered by Guerrero leg sweep for one. Dean tries a snapmare, but Eddie flips and lands on his feet, comes off the ropes looking for a shoulder block, but Malenko catches him in a full Nelson, and Eddie escapes with a standing switch for a brief respite before Malenko does a standing switch of his own back into the full Nelson. These guys are working very quick and crisp tonight, uh, coming off very much like two guys who have wrestled each other many times and know exactly what to expect and how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Dean catches Eddie going up for something and has him on his shoulders in an airplane spin, but Eddie manages to counter the land. But Eddie manages to counter the landing into an arm drag on Malenko. Eddie goes for a tilt whirl something on Malenko, but Dean brings him down with a head scissors. This is immediately followed by the man of a thousand holds trying to launch Eddie up for something, only to be caught himself in a head scissors takeover. They've really studied each other. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, between ECW and here, they've wrestled like a thousand times in the last two years. Right. The crowd is getting into this one as Eddie chops Dean and hits him with the boots. He charges Malenko, but is caught in a power slam. Vintage Orton. That looked awesome. (laughs) It was. It was a good power slam. Guerrero escapes the pin at two. Dean goes for a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker, but Eddie escapes and lands on his feet. Guerrero then gives Dean a taste of his own attempted medicine by giving him a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker for two. Eddie, it's at this, oh, sorry. No, it's go at right this ahead. point, I noticed a guy in the front row with a giant lime green macho man, like foam cowboy hat. Oh, yeah. It's enormous. <laughs> it's like the the nacho hat that Homer gets from the Flanders. <laughs> oh, sure. Um, and it was very distracting to me. Because <laughs> he's on hard cam, isn't he? Yeah, it's it's the front row right in front of the camera. Yep. Oh, that's where also there's a guy with a the Calvin pissing shirt. Ooh, what's he pissing on in this? I time? could not figure it out because my the the quality of the video I was watching wasn't great. Sure. Um, and it was definitely like uh like a fan made uh, something. Mm-hmm. But USWA I don't know. WA or something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck those guys. <laughs> he just wants his opinion heard <laughs> on WCW Monday Nitro. Eddie puts on a headlock as Tony reminds us that this is truly where the big boys play and that we fans are the reason that WCW Nitro is number one. Well, that's a good point. I mean, it's yeah. the viewers that make it have the highest viewing. And <laughs> Dean finally escapes the headlock with a side suplex. Eddie tries to lock Dean in an abdominal stretch, but Dean does a counter into some kind of submission that also has Eddie's shoulders down. Um, I don't know if you remember that spot. It looked really weird. Like, it looked effective, but I also think it just looks so odd that I'm like, well, that's why you never see that in another match, because mm-hmm. it just it's a, a very strange look. 
Uh, Mark Curtis doesn't, he doesn't even know what to do. He's like, are you trying to submit him? And then when he realizes the shoulders are down, uh, he finally gets down and counts for two. Yeah, uh, and then I remember the announcers got a little bit confused because one was suggesting that it's a pinfall, but it's also like, yeah, but he also has him in a submission. So mm-hmm. best of both worlds for Dean Malenko, I guess. Yeah, Curtis actually counts two and then like stops. And I don't know if Eddie's shoulder came up or not. I'm assuming it did. And then he just kind of starts counting again. It just, the whole thing looks very awkward, and yeah. um, it's, like, technically well-executed, but it's just too weird of a spot. Uh, I, I have my notes, Tony is as mystified as I am. <laughs> <laughs> Malenko tries for the cloverleaf, but Eddie flips over and twists his hips, sending Dean into a flip. Dean is right back to his feet, though, and hits a released German suplex for two. We then see Six sneak his little way down towards the ring, uh, like a younger, greasier Repo Man. <laughs> Dean and Eddie trade pin reversals as Six steals Eddie's U.S. title belt from Dave Penzer, uh, giving my dear close personal friend a decent shove as he does so. Well, it was just Penzer, says Larry. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and it, it seemed like there was definitely, like, uh, after Six got the championship, that there was a little bit of extended waiting for someone to react to that. Mm-hmm. It was... Um, it just seemed kind of obvious. Like, when, when you're watching, it's like, oh, he's waiting for someone to kind of, like, hit him from behind. Yeah, and I think Six is wearing the Cruiserweight Championship, too, while he's out. Yeah, yes, he, he tried is. to yep. steal a second belt. Yeah, he's, so he's awesome. grabbing bounties. <laughs> and he's <laughs> trying to steal a belt that he's already stolen before. Right. <laughs> Guerrero sees what's happening and jumps to the floor where he's able to get his belt back from Six. Six jumps the barricade and Eddie briefly follows. Mark Curtis, meanwhile, is counting Eddie out, and Eddie just barely fails to return in time, and Dean Malenko is awarded the win by countout. Curtis raises his arm, and Dean snaps it down, unhappy to be winning this way. Also, it, it's just kind of a wrestling tradition sort of thing, but it's like when it's a countout where they're definitely getting counted to 10, that ref counts really fast. <laughs> yeah. He's counting yep. really fast. He's yeah, on this a, is five seconds probably. Yeah. Tony suggests that security should hold belts until the end of matches, a perfectly reasonable solution that I doubt they'll ever do. <laughs> right. Instead, Stay tuned. <laughs> instead, we'll have Dave Penzer yeah. hold on to it. <laughs> Eddie reaches a handout to Malenko, who slaps it away in frustration. What'd you guys think of the match? I mean, it's Eddie Guerrero versus Dean Malenko. Like, what's not to love about it? Yep. I mean, it's it's been a little bit of time between some of our nitros, so it doesn't feel like we've just watched a whole bunch of them. Sure, I'm sure in real time it's kind of like yeah, they just throw these two guys out there against each other, and there is maybe a little bit of that sense of of them like we're just going to counter each other's stuff now because we're kind of tired of the same mm-hmm. going through the same motions and all that. But um, I thought I thought this was interesting because it kind of felt like they're setting up like a three way match of sorts. Oh, sure, yeah. Because, like, yeah. Im- involving Eddie Guerrero trying to steal his belt again. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, I it's – I mean, I also like the fact that um, Dean Malenko's in a feud in which it's not just, like, oh, I'm just going to wrestle this guy at the next pay-per-view. He's mm-hmm. got a little bit of, like, like personal motivation. Right. Um, having him do a promo in which, like, immediately after, fans were going crazy <laughs> over the fact yeah. that he was on the microphone. Um, yeah, I mean – Obviously, it's going to be Malenko and Six, but um, I thought I thought it was really it's a it was a fun match, and it's a really good setup to I mean continuing this feud between them. And it's just like because you know Six came in and just ruined this match, and you just hate him. Mm-hmm. You know he's very good at being dislikable. Yeah, 
pretty big pop for your boy when he came out, though. All the NWO are still like pretty. Oh, for sure. Faces at yeah. this yep. point. Yep. John, what did you think? Oh, of it? Uh, I thought it was pretty good. Um, it's like six minutes or something like that, so it's a good opener for, especially in front of a hot crowd, like we said. This uh, seemed to me like it was an Eddie Guerrero match more than a Dean Malenko match because there was a lot of that lucha stuff with lots of really fast counters and mm-hmm. every transition spot is just like an Irish whip, which you see all the time in the lucha matches, whereas with Malenko, it's usually more grounded and, and grappling and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, these two are awesome. I thought the match was good for what it was. I thought six coming out at the end was also great for the crowd, and it made sense, and I love six. Uh, overall, thumbs up. I liked it. Diamond Dallas Page's music plays, and he walks to the ring in street clothes. He carries a chair with him this week, presumably so he can protect himself from the outsiders without making Jacqueline look stupid four segments from now. <laughs> I was going to say, it also looks like the chair from last week, too. <laughs> the fluffy <laughs> red one? The f- it's a yeah. fluffy red chair like he used last week, and I was like, if it was, I, I thought if they were intentionally having to bring out the same chair, I was like, that's it's a nice touch. Sure. DDP sits in the chair and gets on the mic. And uh, I guess he has something he wants to tell us. You know, it's pretty obvious that DDP's got a big old bullseye in the middle of his forehead. And uh, because of that, I got something to say. I'm never been accused of being the smartest guy and this might be one of the stupidest things I've ever done but I come out here tonight to make a statement and the statement is I'm tired of running if something's gonna happen let's let it happen right now oh my that's almost like a challenge, I would think, Larry. Well, it's a smart I chess know you're move. Out there. He's calling out. Who's he calling out? Is he calling out? Call it. Oh my goodness! Would you look up in the stands? Sting. They're answering the call. The Macho Man, Randy Savage, and the fans are standing. You hear him screaming. Page says that he still has a target on him. He says he's not a smart guy, and this might be stupid to do, but he's out here to make a statement. He's tired of running around, and so if something is going to happen to him, he'd rather just get it over with now. Tony thinks Paige may be calling out Hall and Nash, but it's actually Sting and the Macho Man Randy Savage who make their way down to the ring through the crowd. Sting is armed with his bat, and the two men are dressed in all black and white as they enter the ring. Sting tosses the bat to Randy, who circles Paige a bit, knocking the bat against the chair menacingly. After a full orbit, Macho hits the back of the chair with the bat pretty hard. Yeah. (laughs) And Paige jumps up. Savage shoves the chair aside and gives the bat back to Sting. Sting approaches Paige and shoves him with the bat a few times. He shoves Paige back all the way into the corner and then rears back like he's going to murderize. I actually wrote murderize and then I (laughs) kind of mumbled it and it just sounded like I I botched uh, DDP. But he pulls back at the last second as Paige flinches. DDP slowly approaches Sting, who gives him the bat, and then turns his back with his arms outstretched. Macho adopts the same pose. Paige chooses not to hit either man, and Sting leaves. 
Macho snatches the back, the back back, no, Macho snatches the bat back, and leaves as well. Tony is bewildered, wondering if this was a test, an initiation, or what. Larry believes, of course, it's a chess move of some kind. <laughs> Human right. game of chess? Everything. Yeah. Something guy. is about chess. Uh, I thought this was a pretty good segment. I, you know, it's, it's, we've seen Sting do this a little bit. You know, Randy's out there for, you know, because it's their little partnership right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like Paige just being like, look, I'm tired. Like, I'm constantly looking over my shoulder. Like, if you're going to attack me, here I am. Just come do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and having, you know, it being a little unexpected uh, instead of Hall and Nash, having it be Sting doing his little test of faith here uh, was mm-hmm. a nice surprise. I thought the segment worked well. Uh, like seeing Paige on my show and and good to see him talking because I think, um, you know, his matches are usually good, but I actually think it's when he's on the mic that he's doing his best work. So yeah. uh, I thought this was a good segment and went off well. John, what do you think? Uh, I liked it too. I'm not totally sure I understood why Sting and Macho Man came out. Have they interacted with Paige recently? No, they're just, I think, because um, I, I don't have like a list, I guess, but they have just done this to a couple random people they just show up and they're like you're gonna hit me with the bat and then if they don't they're like all right you're one of the good ones it (laughs) it's i think implied that sort of they're building a a loyal team of wcw wrestlers for some undisclosed you know eventually they'll go to the guys that they trust and say all right here's what we're gonna do but right now they're kind of just seeing who it is that they can trust Mm -hmm. um and so whether that will pay off directly or not i think remains to be seen and Tony Schiavone said something about Eric Bischoff not letting Randy Savage rejoin WCW that I don't remember from when I watched this when I was a kid, but that sort of makes sense as to why he's sort of in limbo hanging out with Sting and not wrestling and all that kind of thing. Remember, was he fired? No, his contract ran out, um, and I don't... They talked about his contract status, I think, a little openly, and then he had the Halloween Havoc match against Hogan. Yeah. And then he's been kind of gone since. Mm-hmm. And then when they started talking about having him come back, Eric said, like, you don't have a contract anymore. Uh, you can't. And I'm the number one uh, official in WCW, and I'm not interested in signing you. Yeah. And then I think a couple weeks after that, he said, like, eh, maybe we could have you in the NWO. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, if you want to come back, that's, you know, maybe I'll sign you to that, but I'm not interested in you. For WCW. Yeah. So I think, yeah, Randy's uh, presence on all these shows, you know, it's a little mysterious. I get, well, I guess the NWO were like this too, uh, where it's like, how do these guys keep getting in? <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, but well, I, well, he just follows Sting in. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Sting's got his rafters entrance, presumably. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's that's how, what, what Randy's up to right now. Well, yeah. And I just, I guess, also say this appears to be like the final step in Diamond Dallas Page being a full-fledged babyface. Like, he did the thing with the Outsiders two weeks ago, I think. Then last week when he wrestled the Renegade, he wrestled like a heel. Yeah. He did, like, the self-high-five thing to the crowd. But this week he seemed like he was 100% babyface to me. So I'm interested to see what he looks like next time he wrestles. I feel like there's a good chance next week he'll just be a heel for some reason or another. (laughs) Jumping on a cigar again. Or just because he'll just face him against someone that's just not able to really play up the face. Or play up uh, as being heel against him. Mm-hmm. So then he just, I think he just kind of falls into that when when it's like he needs to kind of take over for a match. He kind of plays up the heel as his like first like first tendency. Right, because if they didn't have him go pure babyface after he 
faked out taking the shirt from Scott Hall and then hit it. Like, if they didn't seize on that as mm. a complete babyface turn, it feels like, yeah, what is it going to take to right. have this guy just, uh, you know, j- I, I don't think he should be high-fiving people because that's too much of a character change. Uh-huh. He should just walk to the ring, you know, cockily, and then do the bang, and that's that's what he needs to do. Mm-hmm. But he, he, he shouldn't be glad-handing. But, yeah, they need to, like, cut stuff like the self-high-five that's openly antagonistic. <laughs> right. After a commercial break, we see one of the most universally liked men in wrestling, Bobby Eaton, make his way to the ring. Bobby Lee Eaton passed away on June 26th this year when we were on hiatus. Uh, so I just want to take a moment to say that we've, uh, I think we've always kind of said that he's like, a, he's out of time in these nitros. He, he seems like a guy from a completely different era, but we've, he's always putting in good work. Uh, he's got a great punch. He's like, he'll, he'll do things off the top rope you don't necessarily expect. Uh, I liked his work when he was with Regal as a Blue Blood. That was really fun. I thought the Blue Bloods were a really great tag team. Yeah. Um, and they, I felt like they broke them up just because, like, that's how you set up feuds, have them feud against each other. But they didn't really have a plan for Earl Robert Eaton as far as, like, being a singles guy again. I it, I think it really hurt where his position – I think he was – because, like, he's also well-known as, like, one of the best tag team wrestlers. Mm-hmm that there is and they took him away from like a tag team that was working well for him yeah. and put him into singles matches and it, it just like has derailed his career at this point but no I always liked him as as part of that even though it's like it's a goofy premise because you have like the southern American trying to play British but like both of them were just so earnest in the in the, like the skits and stuff like that and they were just like a great tag team yeah on Twitter um, right after you pass away, people were putting up these clips that were showing it's not happening on Monday night cause it's nitro. Um, but when he wrestled like basically anyone on Saturday night, yeah. that like every other, um, veteran gave him a lot more mm-hmm. as far as like ring time and offense and stuff like that. And you could just tell that there's so many people that respected him. Um, yeah. whereas like on nitro, he's going to do the jobber thing. They can't really kind of do that sort of like extended, um, sort of action with him but well, I remember recently um, in terms of episodes we've watched there was like there was a nitro and a or he was it was or maybe a clash of the champions and then a pay-per-view I forget there was two match uh, events in a row where they did like the um, Benoit Sullivan fight around the arena kind of stuff yeah and on the first one somebody like messed with them and so on the second one, Bobby Eaton was just following them around in street clothes, kind yes. of staying off yep. camera as much as possible. Yeah, I remember Because it was like, yeah, if you need somebody to, like, a, t- a genuine tough guy who's going to be able to, like, get in there and stop the crowd, uh-huh. like, you send out Bobby Eaton. Right. Because, like, Meng is going to be a little too recognizable, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, you couldn't you could put Meng, you couldn't put Scott Norton. Right. You know, Meng's <laughs> got a WCW Nitro t-shirt. He could be disguised in them, so I don't last week. <laughs> <laughs> um, another note that I just found while I was reading a little bit about Bobby Eaton that I thought kind of speaks to to the kind of man that he was. Uh, in the late 1980s, he began dating Bill Dundee's daughter. Uh, Bill was a wrestler and a and uh, I think maybe a promoter at some point, but mainly a wrestler. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of wrestlers, he absolutely did not want his daughter ever dating someone in the business. Uh, so they were keeping it secret and he heard that his daughter was was dating a wrestler mm-hmm. uh, and when he found out that it was um, Bobby Eaton he was like well okay then and he allowed him to get married <laughs> right. he was like that's the yeah. one guy yeah. that that's okay for who is it it was Bobby <laughs> Eaton it's like 
Well, that's okay. He's beautiful. <laughs> so. so Bobby Eaton married uh, that woman, Donna, in 1981, and they were married for 40 years until she just passed away uh, from breast cancer one month before he passed away in his sleep. So uh, RIP to both of them. It sounds like just a, an amazing guy, a great life, great uh, couple from all you know things to be able to find. So, um, yeah, just a, a little send-off to Bobby Eaton. Yeah, not many 40-year marriages in wrestling. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Eaton is going to be squaring off with Conan in a, uh, let's call it, contrast of style and character. Yes. And yep. here to call all the action is a man who knows a thing or two about style and character, our own John Amendorp. I was sure you were talking about someone else. <laughs> um, I had a note here just before I started it that I think I mentioned something like this for last week's show where part of the undercard really seems like guys randomly getting thrown together. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a lot of that on this show, too. Um, this is where the contrast, I think, is good, though, because sure. um, Bobby Eaton is good at putting guys over. Um, and to like you see the contrast in what a wrestling superstar looks like in 1997 versus 1987. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right? So, you know, Bobby Eaton um, comes out to like generic guitar music, um, not in great shape, um, kind of still got a mullet going. And he had like a 15 second between when they came back from commercial and uh, Conan's music started playing 15 seconds. Mm -hmm. So they were hurrying him in there. Yep. Um, Conan comes out to like this like kind of Mexican rap song that's got a police siren. I was already I, looking around for Scott Steiner, assuming he was lurking around the corner somewhere. I think it's him rapping, but I'm not sure. Hmm. I, they do one hmm. eventually with him rapping. I'm 100 percent sure of that. But I also think this is him. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, good pop for Conan, though. He's um, still in the Dungeon of Doom at this time, which I still <laughs> think is an incredibly weird fit, but yeah, yep. I guess it was just a way to turn him heel, so whatever. Um, shortly after the bell, uh, Conan attacks with a shotgun dropkick um, while Bobby Eaton's distracted talking to the referee. Uh, whips Bobby Eaton to the other corner, hits another dropkick. Uh, whip to the other corner again. This time Conan misses a clothesline and Bobby Eaton comes back with a few punches in the corner. Tim, like you said, he throws a nice, good Southern wrestler punch. Um, referee backs him off, so Bobby Eaton gets distracted for a second time in the match. Conan hits uh, his rolling clothesline thing, but it doesn't really hit him. Just another. That, that um, is the story of that rolling clothesline. <laughs> it is an adventure. It looks time. great when it all works out, but yes. it is. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it could be uh, far between times that it works out. Right. It's not a good move to do when you're standing still right by an opponent who's also standing still. Mm -hmm. um, they they uh, they do the rolling clothesline spot again um, about 10 seconds later. This time it actually looks pretty good because this time Bobby Eaton's coming off of motion, so easier to bump on it. Um, Conan moves a little more smoothly, I think, there too. Um, Conan follows it up with a snapmare um, and hits a, like a running basement drop kick to the face, like a, a traditional Conan move looked pretty good. Bobby Eaton comes back with a, a kick, uh, an Irish whip. Uh, Conan has one great leapfrog followed by a terrible one because mm -hmm. um, he tries to do like the kind of blind backwards one. And as we talked about last week, you know, Conan has about 90 seconds in the in the tank and right once he hits that he slows down considerably i think that's about where we were then he has below average coordination just body yes. coordination what happens with it because i have in my notes 
that there was an awkward leapfrog, but I don't remember well. Like, what does he does he eat and run into him? Does he just not get over him? Uh, so the second one, Conan is doing backwards, right? Um, and I think the timing was a little off, and I don't think Conan jumped yeah. high enough. I gotcha. It's like like he got the sense that he did not have the right timing on it, so he kind of was like uh like halfway jumping because he anticipated Ian running into him, but Ian was maybe yeah. managed to get underneath him. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so we got a couple of leapfrogs of varying quality. Um, then about five seconds later, Bobby Eaton just kind of stumbled into Conan's Fisherman's or Package DDT uh, for the win. Match was a little under two minutes, I think. Um, chemistry a little awkward between these two guys, but I think just in the, the lower card, it's just okay to throw guys in there. I think kayfabe-wise, it makes sense. Um, Conan, as a heel, is better suited against smaller opponents I think because he's still mm-hmm. trying to do a lucha style his is more grappling based like submission based lucha but it's still stuff that works better on smaller opponents um, mm-hmm. match was okay as kind of like a showcase for Conan um, but I think pretty forgettable uh, overall it did not leave a very big impression on me what do you think Tim yeah it was I mean this was more or less just a squash you know it uh, doesn't need a ton of, of words devoted to it. It was just Conan, go out there and get over on Bobby Eaton, give him a little bit of punches so he's got a little bit of credibility. Uh, but it's meant to be more of a Conan uh, highlight. doesn't really work because Conan is just not that good in the ring a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, so was what it was. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a car wreck where you're just like, what could go wrong next? But it was just yeah. two minutes of not very interesting wrestling. Yeah, I was gonna say that you gave that match a lot more consideration than <laughs> I imagined. Because I was like, "How long was this match?" It's like a minute twenty-two. Yeah, I will say from Bobby Eaton's music hitting to commercial, two fifty-eight. So this was a really short segment for any wrestling show. But right, because I thought Nitro was usually like around seven-ish minutes per segment, but this is a really quick three minutes in and out. Mm-hmm. Uh. I'm sure there's probably a good timing reason for it, but yeah, maybe they're getting some breaks out early so that they can make sure that n- nothing interrupts like Piper and Hogan later sure. on or something. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, no, I, I have no real thoughts about this match. <laughs> I, I have to, I have to level with you besides yeah. the fact that it's just like, I just Conan is just so hit and miss as far as like how he looks in the ring and t- that this was a miss. Honestly, yeah. yep. for a match that was that short, I feel like it showed a lot of his weaknesses, mm-hmm. yep. even though it was supposed to be a showcase for him. And he had someone in there that's like, I'm willing. I like he had like one of the better people that he could like put his offense up against. And he just kind of like he does. He does like just like I said before, he's just awkward. Yeah. You know, he doesn't have very crisp motion, even when he is going really well and he has lots of like the lucha sort of moves that you need a lot more uh, crispness with it all right all right well we go to commercial and when we come back tony sends us to footage of the attack on luger by the outsiders last week motivated by the fact that luger will be teaming with the giant at super brawl to challenge for the outsiders tag team championships then ron powers makes his way to the ring Uh, we've seen ron once before when he was squashed by luger on nitro two weeks ago uh, and it looks like he wants another bite of the apple as Lex's <laughs> music plays and out comes the total package, though he has a cast on his left hand. 
Lex seems ready to compete anyway, but as his pyro explodes, he high-fives his way to the ring. He's interrupted by Eric Bischoff. Uh-oh. I just want to say, too, with Lex having the cast on his left hand, really hoping he'd accidentally crack one of the fans with it. Cause <laughs> <laughs> Eric says rumor has it that Lex has a broken bone in his hand, and Luger confirms that that's the case. But this is where the big boys play, so he's going to still wrestle tonight. Eric informs us that... Er, Eric informs... Eric informs him that as the highest-ranking official in WCW, he has a responsibility to the fans and to Luger to not allow wrestlers to wrestle hurt, a responsibility long considered sacred by promoters everywhere. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> is that like, uh, is that some sort of dig on Vince? N- oh, no, I added the, oh, the that, okay. that's just me editorializing awesome, at the end. He doesn't actually say that. Yeah, I just, because this episode has like occasional. Like, yeah, there are some digs. to come. Yeah. Eric says without a release from a doctor, Lex Luger will not be able to wrestle tonight. Luger is incredulous and asks, <laughs> I need a release from a just just to wrestle? <laughs> I listened to it ten times. It sounds like he's bungling neurologist, but he wouldn't see a neurologist for a broken <laughs> bone in his hand. He's like, five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, if, if listeners of the show who listen all the way through know I always put a little audio clip at the end of just a random funny line. Yeah. That, I 100% guarantee, if you want to listen to that, <laughs> you just hang through this episode because you're going to hear it at the end. I will say, speaking of hanging in, uh, Lex is a little less over with every line he says. Like, the first big line he says is the this is where the big boys play thing. He gets a really good yeah, pop. Uh-huh. Yeah. Then he's got a couple other lines, and pops are a little smaller. Um, get on with it. I had a note, uh, <laughs> Brie Bella, but in 1997, as far as the promo <laughs> skills are concerned. Ooh. Wow, shots fired. And Brie. you know I love Lex Luger. Like, yeah. I'm in the... I, I thought you'd say, and you know I love Brie <laughs> Bella. But, yeah, I'm, I'm a Brie <laughs> Bella guy, and it, it brings me no joy yeah. to report that she has no mic skills. But <laughs> Listen, yeah. no one's a bigger but, fan. Yeah, Lex is just very wooden. And mm-hmm. a live promo in front of fans where you can't yeah. hide like a cue card anywhere yeah. is not using him, I think, in his optimal way. I would also suggest, though, that a storyline where a skinny little wimp is forcing the baby face to not do like he he has to listen to Eric ultimately. Yeah. So like he get Eric Bischoff pushes him around and tells him what to do. And ultimately Lex is like, well, I guess you're right. So like, mm-hmm. you know, naturally the crowd is going to be like, well, that sucks like look like what an idiot yeah he meekly heads heads to the back in search of a doctor's release yeah (laughs) eric says that not only can't luger wrestle tonight but unless he gets a release quickly he won't be allowed to wrestle at super brawl uh it's uh, eric is heading out of the country tonight like partway through the show he's gonna leave the country yeah (laughs) and he has to get that note to him like tonight he can't fax it yeah he can't email hopefully uh Bischoff's CompuServe email isn't down in 1997, so he can get that release electronically. Nothing beats a deadline that's like after the live show is off the air. Yep. Does he he beat it? Who knows? (laughs) Eric puts on some fantastic mock sincerity, saying one of the hardest parts of his job is protecting the athletes from themselves. (laughs) I really love Eric's mock sincerity is incredible. Like, that's his best uh, little mode for promos, I think. And also because he's directly addressing the camera, and yeah. you get the feeling where he's like, 
I'm going to talk now. Yeah. I don't really care if the fans don't want to hear it. It's my turn. <laughs> the giant appears from the back and gets a pop, which Eric takes as an endorsement of his safety protocols. Yes. That's one of the best heel spots. <laughs> yep. yeah, I love it. It was really great. It's like, thank you. Thank I you. I love that. <laughs> Eric goes on oblivious to the giant behind him. He eventually sees him and jumps out of the way and powders to the back. Giant gets in the ring, uh, the apparent replacement for Luger, and here to call all the action is a man there's no replacing, Dave Amantorp. I like that you need this like medical note in order to wrestle a match. Yeah. Or you could just show up <laughs> right? and just get the match. I do like that Lex Luger took the time to get all oiled up for the appearance, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's good kayfabe, right? Well, I mean, that... It, even if he does a wrestle, I bet he does anyway in the back. He he just practices his oiling up. Yeah. Um, I was I mentioned earlier when Ron Powers came out, I was a little bit confused because I was expecting like this really tall guy with short arms to come out, and then I was like, oh, that's Big Ron Stud, is another jobber mm. that we have around here, also named Ron. Ron's a, apparently a popular jobber name. Ron Powers also looks like um, a little bit like Michael Hayes to me. Like, I think maybe it's just like the gross hair. Sure. But it made me l dislike him even more. I was thinking Damien Demento. So he comes out in all black and he's bald on top and yeah. total jobber. Basically, no faith that Ron Powers is going <laughs> to be victorious against whomever they pull him up against. The giant unloads on Ron Powers immediately once a bell rings, but a splash from the opposite corner is narrowly to dodge. Ron tries to punch and chop the giant, but he gets thrown down for his efforts as the giant towers over his large opponent. It should be noted Ron Powers is a big guy. Mm -hmm. The giant is way bigger than mm -hmm. him. It's crazy. And it's like it's a good thing to, for them to do is they can find big wrestlers that the giant could just look bigger than. Oh, yeah. That's the roadblocks great. of the world, like yes. that, that kind of guy. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the giant catches a kick, spins Ron around, and clotheslines him. We get a body slam and a choke slam later, and the giant wins in easy and impress impressive fashion. Um, I just had a thought here about this whole segment, mm -hmm. um, especially the way it played out with Eric Bischoff. It would have been much better if Ron Powers instead was one of the lower members of the NWO. Like if they had like Bubba mm, Rogers or mm -hmm. Wall Street because they're, yeah. those, they're still in the NWO. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, Vincent. Yeah. If they brought out someone and it's like Eric Bischoff's making sure that the NWO guy gets the night off. But then the giant comes out and beats them and it's just kind of like going starting to go through some of the lower ranked guys. Mm -hmm. I, I think it would have just added a bit more to this. That makes sense. Um did you know Vincent, he, he wrestles occasionally on the syndicated shows? Like, if you're a Nitro-only viewer, you're like, oh, they signed Virgil, mm -hmm. and he's one of the, he's like their heavy, but he never does anything. Well, like, is, he, is he, like, on pro? Or, yeah, 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 he'll be Saturday on, like... Saturday night and main event. And he's not even worldwide. usually on Saturday night, but, yeah, worldwide <laughs> and pro, yeah. Oh, because I was you like... You can occasionally tune in and see a Vincent Because we always talk about, like, the lineups and stuff for Saturday night, and yeah. we never mention Vincent. Yeah, I don't... It's just funny to me that, like... Yeah, you're just like, he's this guy with the NWO. He never actually does anything. And then mm. they're like, no, no, no. He he wrestled a Cyclope on Worldwide the other day. Right. <laughs> um, oh, Dave, your suggestion for improving the segment is good. Mm -hmm. I had a different one, though. Uh oh. Um, so I think Ron Power should have gotten a uh, forfeit victory. Ring the bell. Oh. Um, 
And I also think uh, if he beat the Giant, he should have gotten the tag team title shot at Super Brawl. <laughs> <laughs> these, are, these are solid thoughts. Uh-huh. And yeah. I think you need to seek help. <laughs> seek Damian Demento for a Although, tag team. Although, if they did, if it was like Bubba or Wall Street and it, Bischoff's like, he can't wrestle, so our NWO guy gets the victory, then the Giant comes out. Yeah, Giant doesn't even have to have a match. He just choke slams him yeah. and does a promo. Mm-hmm. That works just as well. Oh, <laughs> Um, I forgot there's this promo afterwards. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. how could I forget the promo? <laughs> well, we'll get to that. I, I, the only thing I want to note about that match that we haven't already said is that at one point, Larry Zabisco says, look at the eyes on the giant. Looks like Charles Schwab looking over your savings account. Oh, yeah. I was like, hmm. I don't yeah, know what that's they... supposed to mean. Do I have a bad savings account? And Charles Schwab is mad at me, and that's why it's like the giant? Or I Schwab's looking at my money with, like, fire in his eyes <laughs> it was what it, it was a weird with like little wrestling undies on too right. it made me realize that uh, larry zabisco is the dennis miller of wrestling oh he's not that bad no no he's not <laughs> that bad but yeah. he is a guy who will like make a sort of weird comparison that like we've certainly seen that bobby will throw out like a reference to some weird old thing and fucking yeah. okerlin loves to do it mm-hmm. but you never feel like they're doing it to show that they're smart they're doing it to yeah. be funny mm-hmm Zabisco is doing this stuff to be like, I'm smart. Re- Charles Schwab, that's like rich people use that. That's, that's a that's fancy like thing. A yeah. Right. He, um, he want, he's like, when you look it up later, you'll realize how hilarious it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to say that Giant was so over. I think he got like maybe the either he or Sting, I think probably got the biggest pop on the show. Um, every single move he did, the crowd mm. went insane. Uh, and it's it's a good uh, demonstration of like you don't have to do that much if you can just if the crowd is involved it's very easy yeah, yeah. I mean it's also nice to see that the giant was not just completely destroyed by that awful feud he had with Hogan I thought you were gonna say destroyed by Ron Powers uh, that route would, to uh, imagine, Super Raw Take Team imagine match. if the giant came in and Ron Powers just steamrolled him just took him out. Mm-hmm. The Giant kicks Powers out of the ring, and referee Jimmy Jett leaves as well, and the Giant stands in the ring alone until he's joined by Mike Tanay. Thank you very much, Tony Schiavone. The recent ruling by Eric Bischoff, which at this point looks like Lex Luger is not going to be able to compete at Super Brawl. The Giant, this is a situation where even if you are the biggest man in professional sports today, how can you be expected to go out against both members of the Outsiders Hall and Nash? First of all, we're not dealing with a regular man here. We're dealing with a true fire-breathing, walking, seven-foot-four, 475-pound giant. I am not concerned about a partner because I have a partner, and that partner is Lex. Luger! Lex Luger opened a door for me when nobody else would because they were scared, because they were intimidated, because they thought they couldn't trust me. Lex Luger has the heart and he has the intensity. That's why tonight I want to ask right here, I need to ask Lex, one question and when i get my answer when i get my answer, answer. 
Nice. Well, it looks like you're going to have an opportunity to ask that question because the total package is headed to the ring. Booger has got to be irate. The one question I have to ask you. After everything that Hall and Nash has done, everything that they put us through, if you had a chance to go for the gold, to go for the belts, would you ever let anything stop you? Ah, Lex quite, Luger? It's quite a question. No, I wouldn't. As I thought you'd say, if you were in my position and the roles reversed, you wouldn't stop either. So with this in mind, the only thing that I'm going to say is in February in San Francisco, at the match, when it's me alone in the ring with Hall and Nash, and I come out the victor after I beat them like I own them, I'm going to walk away from San Francisco with two gold belts. The WCW World Heavyweight Championship Tag Belts. One of them is mine, and the other one is yours. Uh, we'll see throughout the show that uh, Gene Okerlund is out sick this week. So Mike Tanay oh. is on uh, interview duty. I didn't even... Honestly, I didn't even notice. Oh, I love it. Yeah, that is bad. That makes you, you're a bad person. Oh, okay. (laughs) Tanae asked the Giant about the challenge of facing the Outsiders alone if Lex is indeed not cleared for competition in time for the pay-per-view. Giant says that he's not a regular man. He's a true fire-breathing, walking giant. Uh, The fire-breathing will be useful, but I'm unsure how walking will stop the NWO. Although I guess if you walk at a moderately fast pace, Kevin Nash probably can't catch you. Hmm. Bad knees. Yes. It's a bad knee joke. (laughs) The Giant says it won't come to that because he has a partner and it's Lex. Lex opened a door for him when nobody else would. And because he respects Lex so much, he wants him to ask him a question. He wants to ask him a question Right. right there tonight. Lex walks out of the ring and Giant asks Lex if after everything the NWO has done, would Luger let anything stop his chance for a championship? Luger says no. <laughs> the Giant feels the same way, and in San Francisco, <laughs> he will defeat Hall and Nash alone and walk away with the tag team belts, and then he'll give the other one to Luger. I don't... It's so weird that it feels like he has to ask Lex for permission for this. Like, hey, if you can't compete, can I just go try by myself? Hmm. Sure, what the hell would I care? Like, yeah, yeah of course. It's, it's very odd that... It, it, it's like he asked it's like asking a quarterback like will you do whatever it takes to win the super bowl yeah, right it's like yeah yeah i will put in a good yeah. effort to win the super bowl and if you get injured is it okay if a backup quarterback plays instead why well, that's <laughs> really up to the, the team i guess but aaron Rodgers is like no, no no i don't think that is forfeit <laughs> um but I, I like the idea of this um that that he's like Luger brought me back into WCW and everyone else didn't want to because I was in the NWO. So if you're injured, I'm going to do what it takes to make sure that we are the tag team champions, mm-hmm. even if I have to beat them myself. I like the idea. I think it's a good one. And really, I think it adds like a, a nice element to this tag team. 
It's just the the way that it's just because it's two guys that are not good at interviews. Yeah, talking to each other during the interview. The execution was a little rough, but I like the concept. I agree. I I thought the whole thing was clunky because like first the giant just kind of waits in the ring for like a minute before Mike Tanay comes out and he doesn't have music either. Mm-hmm. So he's just standing there. Yeah. For a minute I think he meant Mike Tanay. Like oh. the giant wins and Mike Tanay's music hits and he, he comes down to the ring. Mike Tanay also doesn't have and needs theme music. That would be um, great. But then like Lex Luger was out like a minute ago and then yeah. he has to come back out. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that blew him up. Luger should have just stood by the ring and cheered on his yeah. tag team partner or whatever. <laughs> yeah. 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 But then like uh, he asked Lex whatever that awkward question he asked him yeah. and Lex is just like yes and not yeah. only do you not hear that but the crowd does not react to it at right all. he also Further proving um, the Brie Bella theory he also does he also did the Hulk Hogan thing where he looks around at the crowd as though they, like they need to give him the answer right to a super obvious question right like why would you hesitate answering that question Tanae sends it back to Shivani but there's a moment where the camera uh, where the camera just lingers on him from the shoulders up and it's very funny because uh, these 97 rings don't bounce that much, but between the giant and Lex walking around, like it looks like it looks like today's on a trampoline. Uh, we go to a commercial with a Hollywood Rule shirt advertisement by Hulk Hogan. I really wanted that shirt. It looks pretty kid. cool. I never had it. Um, I'll note that it's twenty two dollars plus six dollars shipping in twenty twenty one. That's forty seven sixty four. Wow. I don't want it that much. I want it that much. Uh, when we come back, Shivani tells us that on WCW Saturday night, you can watch Eddie versus Conan, uh, plus Chris Benoit and Jeff Jarrett will be in action, and much, much more. That's that's where Vincent comes in, right? <laughs> He's in the much, much yeah. more category. He's certainly a much, much more <laughs> type Vincent of Vincent destroys Chris Benoit in a minute and a half. And then then teams with Ron Powers. <laughs> we. <laughs> We then cut to outside the arena where a limo arrives and Hall, Nash, Six, and Bubba walk out. Bubba tells his compatriots that he wants the opportunity to take DDP out in San Francisco. Nash says, sure, sure. And also, could you make sure the limo is stocked with plenty of tonic? (laughs) (laughs) You're the man, says Hall, in that, like, just complete, like, we're the bullies and we're buttering you up to do, like, something we want you to do. But we... I could have... I thought when Nash made the tonic reference, it was the idea that, that the next drinks Bubba has needs more tonic in it. Like he was drinking like really strong gin and tonics. I think the, <laughs> the, the, the idea is just you're our lackey. Like, yeah, yeah you want to face DDP? Sure, whatever. But like, mm-hmm. really, I'm, I have you around to like just, you know, make sure I've got drinks, make sure I'm comfortable. Yeah. Like, I don't have to, I don't want to be booking the limos. That's like Vincent's job. He calls the limo company. Yeah. Vincent gets upset if you try to take that job away. Oh, from yeah. Him. He's got one responsibility and God damn it, you're not yeah. taking it away. And Bubba says he would. Take on DDP tonight, I think, but he didn't have his wrestling gear. He does. Yeah, yeah. It's like he's got goofy leather pants yeah. and a shirt. He wears, that's what he uh, wears all the time. Yeah. 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 I think he's still wearing those leather pants that he tucks in. Remember when yeah, he yeah, tore yeah. them a year ago? You know, maybe I'll, I'll give them credit. Maybe that's actually the joke, though. That That'd he's, be good. it's, yeah. Sometimes I'm always like laughing, like, oh, what a dumb thing. I'm like, oh, well, he's a heel. That probably was just actually the point is that I'm supposed to be like, <laughs> he's being a coward. Yeah. Um, 
for the record, when I mentioned earlier about like Bubba being the guy that could be squashed by the giant, it was yeah. before I realized that Bubba was going to show up mm-hmm. and it was like, Oh, right. Even the NWO is like, no, he's at the bottom. Yeah. You know? Yeah. We're sending Bubba out first. Wall Street doesn't even get like TV time. <laughs> That's kind of good booking in a way though. The outsiders, um, have so little regard for Lex and the giant. They don't even show up to the building until after Lex Luger's <laughs> match is over. Mm-hmm. I like Scott Hall calling them the working man's tag team champions. Yeah. You know, they showed up halfway through the show. And <laughs> right. um, I don't know if they, I don't think they've defended the titles on Nitro at all up to this point. Mm, I don't believe so. Um, if they did, it was jobber central. Yeah. It's hilarious, though. I mean, guys that I think essentially went to WCW for fewer dates per year. <laughs> calling themselves <laughs> a working man's champions. Yeah. I thought that was awesome. Back in the arena, High Voltage come to the ring with plenty of zippy zaps. Next out are the Steiner brothers. Uh, They get a brief inset promo asking why, if they beat the champions at their own pay-per-view, the NWO's own pay-per-view, I should say, why do they have to participate in a four-corners match now? Rick says they have to start their way at the bottom and work their way back up for a title shot, and he implores the NWO to come down into the dog pound, where there are no winners or losers, only survivors. Mm. I like picture-in-picture promos. That's yeah. like part of like 80s wrestling that mm-hmm. I remember really fondly. I don't remember Rick Steiner stuttering like an idiot in promos before. He, he's hit or miss. Sometimes he the, he's like, fine. Uh, yeah. Sort of thing where he talks like he's like the dumbest man on earth, basically. Right. But mm-hmm. it, it was like Tourette's gold dust almost, <laughs> you know? I saw a good one recently on, uh, maybe we'll watch it eventually, I don't know from what era it was, but Gene's trying to interview him, and Gene's got like a very short microphone cord, and Rick walks towards the camera, and he gets too far away, <laughs> and once he realizes it, because like, um, Okerlund's like, hey, you gotta come back here, my, my cable's not that long, then Rick just starts doing it on purpose over and over again just to <laughs> uh, fuck with Gene. Nice. <laughs> he like completely forgets like if what the promo is about. He's just like, I'm just going to do this bit now just to make Gene look stupid. Yeah. And usually with the Steiner brothers and their promos, it's like they just have Scott kind of do a lot of the talking. But this in this case, it was just like for some reason Rick wanted to get yeah. like his words in and it, yeah, it does suffer a bit for that. When the match begins, Tony clarifies that the Four Corners match is to determine the next number one contender for the tag titles, and it will be at the pay-per-view between the Steiners, Harlem Heat, the Faces of Fear, and Public Enemy. And here to call all the action of the Steiners versus High Voltage is our own Survivor of the Dog Pound, John Amantorp. Thank you. Actually, the first episode of 20 Years of Nitro I was on, you called me the dog-faced gremlin. So, <laughs> no. uh, you know, You're it, moving it, up it, in the it's, world. It's like poetry. It rhymes. Yep. Hopefully it'll work. Um, I will say Eric Bischoff is a smart guy. Uh, he clearly heard us last week talking about the, uh, the Steiners as the greatest tag team ever. Decided to showcase them against top WCW talent like High Voltage, mm-hmm. <laughs> who I remember really liking High Voltage when I was younger, too, which... Going back, I'm not totally sure what that was about. Uh, huge pop for the Steiners, uh, as was tradition here. They're totally mismatched. Scott looks like a wrestler. He's wearing like his sort of like a silver sort of singlet. Um, if he would just cut his hair, he would look a lot like a modern wrestler, but he's mm-hmm. got huge, fluffy sort of waterfall-looking mullet uh, that could not be tamed, uh, apparently. Uh, and then Rick is wearing like black and purple. Um, I thought they both looked good, though. Scott 
at this point is starting to look super big Papa pump style jacked. We're getting there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, high voltage though. Um, obviously these guys aren't very good wrestlers, but they're massive. And to like someone just flipping through the channels, I think these two teams would appear to be pretty evenly matched just based on how big they are. Yeah. Um, Scott and Robbie Rage, is that right? Ken, Scott and Ken Chaos and Robbie Rage. Yeah, Scott and Robbie Rage start out. Uh, Scott immediately hits a big hip toss on him, um, and then the crowd pops again because Harlem Heat has come out near the entranceway to kind of observe the proceedings, uh, you know, in kind of anticipation of their fatal four-way match coming up. Uh, Robbie Rage hits a forearm and then like a chop block to Scott which was weird Mm -hmm. Um, that's like boarding on ring psychology but then of course he doesn't do anything else with it the rest of the match Uh, Robbie then goes to the top for flying uh, double axe handle Scott catches him and hits a release overhead belly to belly suplex which looked awesome oh yeah Um, again Scott tossing an enormous man um, great looking suplex and then followed by like a gorilla press slam where he just drops him on his face like the warrior did, which also looked super impressive. Uh, after the press slam, we uh, look towards the entranceway. No pop from the audience this time oh, uh, no. as the faces of fear appear near the uh, announcer's desk. They deserve a pop. Yeah. Um, uh, Rick Steiner and Kenny Chaos then tag in. Rick uh, just kind of bullies him into the corner. Uh, Chaos hits a couple of punches and I think like a knee in the gut then a swinging neck breaker and it occurs to me at this point that Kenny Chaos looks like exactly like Brian Pillman except a hundred pounds heavier yeah I can see that absolutely Um, uh, then uh, even less of a pop as uh, Public Enemy appears to scout the action that's probably about accurate and I was wondering if they might be able to get a one and a half star match out of high voltage but I, I don't think they're the guys for that job um, let's see Kenny uh, whips uh, Rick Steiner into the ropes misses a clothesline another kind of goofy looking leapfrog but this time Rick catches him hits like kind of like a high angle looking belly to belly suplex I thought looked awesome yeah he does that he did that from time to time I know when they're when they have their matches and he does that move I usually never put in the play by play because I have no idea what to call it. <laughs> so that's kind of a move that gets skipped over. Yeah, because Scott hits a textbook belly to belly 30 seconds before this. So yeah. I don't know what to call that move either. Um, I'd note at this point, Tony Schiavone announced Dean Malenko versus six at Super Brawl for the Cruiserweight title. I'm not sure if that was official uh, before this point. Stealing belts works for him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Um Scott takes back in, hits like kind of like a like a power slam into the corner, but he leaves Kenny Chaos tied up in the tree of woe, and then locks on a chin lock from the outside. I think it looked cool, but that's a heel move, isn't it? Yeah, a little yeah. bit. I would say yeah. so. Yeah, I mean, it looked cool though. Um, I mean, to be f- Scott for the last like few weeks or months also dresses like a heel. He looks like a heel. Yeah. Uh, Tony and Larry are at this time not really focused on the match they're talking about Hogan and Piper for the title they're very clear this time it's a title match um, which I think was a big part of their promotion for the pay-per-view Larry says something to the effect of it doesn't get any bigger than this and I look in the ring and it's Scott Steiner and Kenny Chaos (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
Kenny Chaos reverses whip into the ropes. Robbie Rage hits Scott with like a forearm to the back of the head. High voltage, clearly in control of this one. Maybe trying to sneak their way into the title picture. Uh, <laughs> big old five corners match. <laughs> five corners. <laughs> um, uh, in, immediately snuffed out, though. Scott Steiner reverses the next Irish whip, hits an, uh, an atomic drop. Rick comes in, hits a running Steiner line. Looks awesome. I always love the name Steiner line, too. Oh, yeah. Yep. Kenny Chaos breaks up a pin attempt there at two. Uh, then Robbie Rage goes for like a springboard front somersault looking move. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rick catches him with a power bomb, which yeah. I also thought looked cool. Um, was not expecting Robbie Rage to come off the top rope, though. Uh, Kenny Chaos breaks up another pin attempt. This time, Scott just uh, uh, shit cans him to the outside. Steiners then hit the Steinerizer for the win, which... If you guys haven't seen it before, Scott has a guy like in an electric chair on his shoulders, and Rick Steiner comes out the top with a bulldog. Uh, looked awesome here, but that's, to me, a really scary-looking move. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, it's one that you can definitely, like, find plenty of examples where they're doing it on some jobber. Mm-hmm. Uh, and or they just well. Yeah. <laughs> and they're just like, who gives a shit? Like, yeah. you're taking this. Mm-hmm. Yep, but... Um, yeah, Steiner's win in, I think, about two and a half minutes. I thought it was a really good uh, showcase for them. Um, high Voltage looks great. They don't know a lot of wrestling moves. Yeah. But I, Robbie Rage's uh, attempted thing off the top rope was impressive. Um, and, you know, maybe the only memorable spot of their careers. I guess time will tell. I feel like like you can definitely see the elements as far as why they thought that high voltage could be good because they're like they're big yeah. muscular they look good mm-hmm. and they can move and they can do aerial moves and things like that i mean a lot of the execution is not that good but yeah you could tell like when they when they came to the power plant like they had a lot of stuff in there where it's like well we can make something out of these guys if sure. you took their exact act and look and put it in like 1991 they'd be huge stars i believe yeah like yeah, absolutely i think they would have worked completely differently um you know, in uh, just a few years earlier, uh, when the match is over, or actually, I, oh, can I? I had yeah, no- yeah. Okay. Uh, after the match, Tony Schiavone uh, says the Steiner's win streak continues. Yeah, you can go all the way back to NWO sold out. Yes, which at this point was 15 days earlier. Yeah, and the Steiners have had a match since then, which was a double DQ. So I'm not really sure. I agree that the uh, winning streak. Uh, has yeah. run on, but <laughs> right. um, yeah, I looked I it up. I looked it up as well. They did have one win over the faces of fear on the January twenty seventh nitro, and then they had the no contest last week. So yeah, all yeah. the way back to a two week old pay per view. Yeah, and it's not even true. <laughs> yeah, that's that's quality Shivani right, right there. <laughs> oh, and then before we hit commercial, Tony Shivani says we have a huge TV title match coming up. Ray Mysterio Jr. Plus Hugh Morris, plus Roddy Piper, plus an H boy Ric Flair, and I was just thinking one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> right. And I'm looking forward to the Hugh Morris match. <laughs> After replays in a commercial, Tony uh, hypes the remainder of the show. The NWO's music plays, and Nash, Hall, Bischoff, Nick Patrick, and Six walk to the w- walk to the ring. Uh, I presume that Bubba is off purchasing that tonic that Nash wanted. Like, yeah, he was there. We yeah, know right. he was there. Yeah. Now he's gone. Nerve tonic. Tony and Larry choose to live to fight another day and abdicate the booth to the NWO, though Larry uh, has some off-mic words for Kevin Nash. We got business 
I look like Vince Neil over here. Oh, you said Vince. <laughs> I started to get sick. I wasn't sure what you were going to say. I hear he's real ill. Dog's disease. Hey, you smell something? You smell something? What's Just that? us, baby. It's us, because we're the stuff. Hey, we understand. We've got some business to take care of here. I got a uh, memo from my secretary that Randy Anderson wanted to talk to me. So without further ado, without further ado, let's bring him out and see what he has to say. Where is it? You remember him? Come on down, you inbred redneck. Come on down, Randy. Look at these people. They love us. Where is it? It's oh, definitely in the Mom and the babies. What is this, family feud? You can't tell Wait a minute. What? Oh, what? Come on, spit it out. Oh, no, we, we told him we'd give him his, his well, special. Yes. Two weeks ago, you called me out here and you fired me. Yeah. On the national TV in the world. Yes, I did. Payola. So this week, I want to bring my wife and children out here so you can see the pain that you've caused terminating me and hope that I can just ask for some way possible that you can reconsider and give me my job back. Pretty well dressed. What are you paying these guys? You know, for a little more money, you can get the real ostrich boots. I'll tell you what. You're right. I maybe I should have given this a little more thought. What What are your kids' names? Names. What are their names? This is Montana. This is Chase. My wife, Christy. Come on up. Come on up a little closer. Chase and Montana. I love that name, Montana. By the way. No, no, no. I'll tell you what. Kids, come on up here. It's all right, Randy. It's, it's all right. Kids, would you do me a favor? Would you please tell your daddy that he's still fired? <laughs> would you do that for me? Montana, please tell your daddy he's fired. Get on with his life. Do it for a little tiny Bischoff, God bless please. us, everyone. Is there anything please, Bob, I can you? do professionally with WCW? I got two children and a wife. Wow, 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 wow. Everybody in this arena has got responsibilities. You have to learn how to deal with adversity. Rule number one in life in general, deal with adversity. But I'll tell you what, you want a little test in adversity? You want your job back? Yes, sir. Chase, Montana, you want your father to get his job back? Yes, sir. Would you like your husband to be able to provide an income for your family? I'll tell you what, to prove to the world that I do have a heart and that I will play in a level playing field anywhere, anytime. It's real simple. Next week, right here on Nitro, you come out, you get in the ring with Nick Patrick. <laughs> he didn't say that, did he? Yeah, he just did. I heard it. That sounds sweet. No. It's crazy. You know what the doctors have told you. No. No. It's real simple. Oh, come on. Know who wears Mr. a pants in that family. Wouldn't the little kiddies like to see Daddy in a real fight? You backed me in the corner. You really backed me in the corner this time. It's, it's about opportunity. It's about seizing the moment. I got two kids here. I got support. I wrestle cancer, and I'll wrestle him anytime. You, you just got tell it. me. 
right here next week on Nitro. Deal? Deal. Deal. Sweet. Oh. He's undefeated. Nick's undefeated, you idiot. He's oh, suspended until next week. The Outsiders and Eric put on headsets, and Nash says that he looks like Motley Crue lead singer Vince Neil. Eric says that he heard the name Vince and started to get sick. Mm. Hall says that he's heard that Vince, like uh, McMahon, I think he's, you know, well, McMahon's clearly who Eric's talking about. I believe that Hall is also saying that, oh, I've heard that he's real ill, and Eric goes, dog's disease. (laughs) Awesome. Which... I'm not sure if that means Vince has a dog's disease or if there's a human disease called dog's disease. He's turned into a dog? (laughs) Yeah, you you grow a tail. (laughs) Eric says that they have some business to attend to as he got word that Randy Anderson wishes to speak with him. Randy, accompanied by his wife, son, and daughter, make their way out. Uh, The kids are wearing their Sunday best. Yeah. Randy is handed a mic and says that two weeks ago Eric fired him. He brought his wife and kids out so that Eric would have to face the pain and suffering that he's caused by that decision. Randy asks Bischoff to reconsider and give him back his job. Eric says maybe Pee-wee is right, and he should have given it more thought. He asks the kids for their names. They're Chase and Montana. Eric invites the kids closer to the stage. Oh, can I also say, Eric Bischoff says, I love the name Montana, because Eric Bischoff famously lives in Montana. That's true, yeah. And, uh... At some point here, sorry if I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but Scott Stein, or Scott Hall calls Randy Anderson an inbred redneck. <laughs> <laughs> kind of no reason, but... Eric invites the kids closer to the stage. He asks them to please do him a favor and tell their daddy that he's still fired. What a heel. <laughs> That's awesome. The outsiders cackled. I cackled. <laughs> but sweet Montana asks, please, Mr. Bischoff? In spite of the mockery, Randy keeps his cool and asks if there's anything he can do. Eric is not sympathetic and says that everyone has faced adversity in their life and that Randy just has to learn to deal with his. But if it really means that much to his family, Eric says that Randy can come back if he faces Nick Patrick in a match next week. Anderson's wife, Christy, begs him not to, reminding him that doctors have apparently warned him against wrestling. <laughs> right. Once he got over cancer, <laughs> they were just like, now no wrestling, Mr. Anderson. Uh, I will say Kevin Nash says uh, Nick Patrick's undefeated, you idiot. Yeah. That yeah. was good. Yeah, which is, of course, not true because right. he lost his uh, match against Chris Jericho yeah. last year at World War Three. <laughs> Uh, as Randy Anderson and his family walk away, yeah. Scott Hall says, tell your story walking. Yeah. That's another good line. Before he walks away, though, he does say that he's been backed into a corner and he wrestled cancer, so he'll wrestle Nick Patrick next week. Uh, yeah, so I thought that segment was great. I really liked it. I guess there's maybe a question of whether it goes too far on what's still kind of a family program. Uh, um, but it went too long. I know that for oh. sure. There's way too much <laughs> of Randy Anderson talking. Yeah, yeah. It, it does go. It does go a little bit. I kind of summarize it a little quicker than it maybe happened. And, but. and to be fair, and I've said this on the podcast before, I hate angles with referees as yeah. it is. Yep. And this is like, hey, you want to spend ten minutes having a referee talk on the microphone? Yeah. You know, Dave. Yeah, technically, right. referees are part of all the angles. Yeah. <laughs> so I just I thought like. It does good, you know, it, it's good establishing Bischoff, like, uh, not that he needs more heel cred, I guess, but it's just, it's good. He's not a wrestler. I know we'll see him in the ring eventually, but it's like, 
he's going to be a focal point whether we like it or not. So I like when they find things that are creative and new for him to do. Mm. This is not something I've seen before. A promoter firing, like an evil promoter firing a ref and kind of reveling in it and laughing in the face of his children. Like, I, I thought it was great. I thought the kids, I'm assuming those are Andy Anderson's real kids, but I thought they were very poised and put together and charming and like they did a great job on tv um so you know again if those are his real kids then like even more credit to them uh so i thought the angle i thought it all played off really well i do agree it got a little bit long but overall this was for me uh, a pretty good segment john what did you think i liked it a lot too i don't think randy anderson really has mike skills yeah but that's for true. the three lines he had or whatever i thought it was pretty effective um i Actually, I kind of liked that most of the WCW officials sort of had personalities. Like yeah. they all kind of had different um, speeds they would count at. They all look different, things like that. Yeah, I agree. They probably don't need to be wrestling matches and things like that. Yeah, but um, I do think it adds a little bit to the show when you know even the referees at least have a little bit of uniqueness to them. Uh, I agree with you. The overall, the segment was pretty good. It's good heel heat for the NWO and it's not really at anyone's expense that matters that much. So it's right. even better heat there. And I uh, think it's effective stuff. Eric tells the outsiders to get ready to wrestle and they head to the ring with six. Eric says that they'll be facing one of the toughest tag teams in the North American continent, the extreme who he says are the Eastern seaboard champions from get this uh-huh stamford connecticut oh what to which larry sabisco says they're definitely not worthy of a title shot then <laughs> what this wow. is uh this is also kind of a dual shot by eric here because uh he is uh calling them the extreme and talking about their east coast championship because he's also taking a shot at ecw mm. uh he's got guys especially if you really know this stuff devin storm has been in ecw he's part of team extreme it's him and ace darling yep so like you're like okay you know he's taking a shot at ecw calling these guys the extreme and having them uh this is the second time they've been on nitro and both times they're just there to lose and in, in, yeah. in embarrassing fashion uh so he's having some fun here punching down on ecw isn't really a great look i don't think like yeah i like when he would like you know, kind of pick at Vince McMahon, especially when he was live and Raw was taped. Yeah. I, I like that stuff, but I don't know, man. I agree, but... And it, you're right, because it's punching down, but at the same time, Heyman talks constant shit about Eric in oh, ECW. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know what? He's been gotten to a little bit, and he's going to use his bully pulpit to get back, and I don't have a ton of problem with it, personally. Um. Anyway, uh, Devin Storm and Ace Darling come out. Six accost them in the aisle... And they yell at him until the outsiders attack them from behind. I love uh, the outsiders who are clearly outclassing these guys also attacking them for the match. Yeah. So unnecessary. They're yep. good heels. <laughs> yep. Uh, meanwhile, that Eric is demanding that Larry join him on commentary. Nash throws that is the biggest heel move <laughs> so far. Nash throws Darling in the ring and goes to work as Hall tosses Storm into the ring steps. Uh, a little note on the extreme. We've seen them before, but uh, uh, who gives a shit? I'm <laughs> <laughs> who gives a fuck? Who gives a shit? Nash works over Ace Darling in the corner with knee strikes. Larry does join Eric because he's a professional. Uh -huh. 
Nash tosses Darling around like a rag doll, and Larry, having been told by Eric to call the action, says, here's a seven-foot-tall coward beating up a defenseless guy. <laughs> He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. <laughs> defenseless guy in ring gear? Yeah, a guy in ring gear who signed up for a match. Like, I know that it's, you know... It's not like he's attacking a fan. Right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hall brings Storm into the ring, and the Outsiders beat up the Extreme simultaneously. Hall hits a fallaway slam as Eric mentions his funny little Stamford bit again. And Larry says that being from Stanford makes these guys unworthy, <laughs> which is kind of stupid because, like, you're supposed to be the baby face here to Eric. Like, I'm not saying he should be complimenting Stanford, Connecticut. Right. Yeah. Like, but just you don't need to say anything. You don't need to, like, butter up Bischoff by he being was, like, yeah, yeah. He, he was getting in on the joke. Right. Which doesn't make that's not in character for him. Right. The Outsiders set up as if they're going to do the Razor's Edge and the Jackknife Powerbomb, but instead, Nash gets Darling up in the Torture Rack, and Hall hits a choke slam. <laughs> Does he, though? Yeah, the Torture <laughs> Rack by Nash is awful. <laughs> the execution is just terrible. Uh, but the point is, they're hitting you know, the finishers of their future opponents. Mm. Uh, the bell rings, and then after the bell rings, Mark Curtis counts three. So I think he got the submission on whoever Nash had, and then Hall... Just pin the he other did, guy he, just yeah. to be an he did both. He did like always oh, submitted, yeah. and Hall was pinning him. So he's like, "I'll also because he probably doesn't want to get assaulted." Sure, yeah, is okay, this the yeah. That Scott Hall's beaten up before. Mark Curtis, no. There's or, is that Pee Wee Anderson? Maybe I don't think Hall to this point has beaten up a okay. ref. Yeah, I don't. Think I don't so. want to spoil a future sure. episode of Nitro. Waltman gets on the mic and jumps in the ring, asking the winners for a word after their tough match. The best and scheduled for Super Bowl. Hall and Nash, Giant Luger, although Luger may not not be there. Let's see what they have to say. For the outsiders, baby. Hey, can I get a word with you guys after that tough match? There you go. Here's your belt. Tough match. And one for you. Now, another Matt Classic match of the year, four star. What what do you guys got to say about the extreme? How do you approach a match like that? Hey, these guys are unbelievable. But let me make a point. You know, if you people would learn to shut your mouth. Ooh, rather hostile environment. Yeah, like these the people here hey. have common sense. Tell them, big man. You know, the other day, I opened up Webster's Dictionary. I looked up the word giant. It said goop, goon, dork, fool. They used it in a sentence. Oh my God, they've got a giant boil on their back. You want to be a giant, you be one. Us, the outsiders, will just continue being too sweet. <laughs> you got it. Hey, yo. Here's a little lesson in genetics for you, you big goof. Kevin Nash is also seven feet tall. Except he stopped at the cool stage while you slid on past into the dork meter. Ooh. And everybody knows that a couple of Clydesdales, or is it Clydesdales, like you and that punk Luger with his lame arm, 
can't run with no thoroughbreds. And in finishing this, Luger, we're real sorry about your injury. You shouldn't spend so much time in the back warming up. Better luck next time, because you know what? We are the sweetest thing going, and we are NWO. Six says it was another four-star Matt Classic and asks the Outsiders how they prepare for such a tough team. It's not five stars, it's four stars. <laughs> well, he's being realistic. <laughs> right. It wasn't in the Tokyo Dome. Oh. <laughs> Nash facetiously puts over the extreme and then says the dictionary defines giant as a goof and a fool. And says... <laughs> <laughs> I looked it up. Yeah, that's what the dictionary says. Giant is a goof and a fool. Uh, he says that you can continue being a giant, but they'll always continue to be too sweet. Mm. Hall says that Kevin Nash is also seven feet tall, except he stopped at the cool stage. <laughs> yeah. Well, the giant kept growing until he reached the dork meter. <laughs> That's I, I, I love it because it makes no yeah, sense. Yeah, being seven foot one, cool. Being seven foot four, dork. dork. I was, yeah, <laughs> I was expecting tryhard. it to be like... 6'10 is cool tall, yeah. but like 7'3 is weird tall. That's <laughs> what I thought he was going to say. Yeah. Nash, who is oddly holding his crotch for most of the promo. I yes, don't he know was. Okay, I'm glad someone else yeah, saw I noticed that. that. Uh, he says that they're the hottest things going, and they are NWO for life. He spent too much time buttering up himself. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Eric tosses it to commercial while he and Larry argue over the necessity of Luger obtaining a doctor's release. When we come back, it's hour two, so Tony Schiavone is here, Larry and Eric are gone, and Tanay and Bobby Heenan have joined the broadcast. They speculate on Sting DDP as a loud but brief weasel chant breaks out. It's very loud, yes. but it's like four weasels and they're done. Yeah. <laughs> Next is Rey Mysterio making his return to Nitro after about a month off uh, due to his knee injury. Uh, some doctors have recommended that he get knee surgery, but he's trying to work through it. And he is facing the television champion, Lord Steven Regal, who was last on Nitro three weeks ago when he picked up a win over Jacques Rougeau. I, wow, mentioning Rougeau, I feel like we have not seen the Canadians in a while. I guess that was only three weeks ago. It's because our podcast took a year off. <laughs> That's why I haven't yes. seen them in a while. Yep. Tony refers to Regal as a man who has yet to be beaten for that television title, hmm. which is a very long way of saying... The current champion. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, here to call all of this television action is the champion of my heart, Dave Amantorp. Well, what I liked is uh, right when Rey Mysterio Jr. came out, he was coming to the ring and said, Oh, yeah, this is where the big boys play. <laughs> <laughs> and me, too. Right, Mom? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> um, Regal has a great reaction to just Ray's presence in the ring. Yeah, he's just disgusted by he, it. He's like, he's just, it's demeaning, <laughs> and he's just looking at it. Like, he also looks at him in, in disbelief, and he suggests to the referee, like, you're taller than this guy, aren't you? <laughs> Which, when you see, Mark Curtis is definitely taller than Ray yeah. Jr. Yeah, I, um, I, don't th I think eventually it's fine. But I don't think at this point in his career, Ray should not be in the ring with Regal. I think it kind right. of, it just doesn't, like, psychosis towers over him. Mm -hmm. But, like, psychosis can also kind of work his style a lot better. I, I just think when you've got a big guy whose kind of whole thing is, like, more a technical-based approach, I, I think it's exposing 
the weaker aspects of Ray uh, when he's such an easy guy to accentuate the positives. So this was uh, unnecessary matchup to me. Mm-hmm. So this unnecessary, unnecessary matchup begins with Regal taunting fans at ringside. And basically he, this whole match, he's showing, showing a clear like lack of respect for his opponent. Like mm-hmm. this is going to be easy. I'm just going to do whatever I want. Once the action begins, we get an exchange of wrist locks, which is broken up when Regal picks up Ray with ease and gives him a backbreaker. Regal arm drags Ray to the mat, but Ray counters with a leg scissors, which Regal easily escapes and returns to working on the arm. Regal, uh, Ray escapes and tries to flip onto the ring apron, but he settles for stepping out of it onto it instead. He hits Regal with a springboard dropkick, which Regal sells by being, like, dazed and also angry. Yeah. Like, he's like, how could I let him get the Angrily concussed. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Regal recovers and clubs Ray with forearms and a European uppercut, all while still jawing with fans at ringside. He's he's jawing with the guy with the um, Calvin peeing. Oh, okay, on. sure. That's yeah. how I really noticed him. Maybe it's Calvin peeing on, like, the queen. Oh, God. <laughs> A plate of fish and chips. Um, but uh, another thing with Regal is like when it comes to like working the crowd is he will pick someone out. Sure. Like, he comes back around. Right. Because uh, he, he, when he finds like the guy that's drunk, that's going to scream at yeah, him every yeah, time, yeah. he comes back around over and over again. Yeah, and that's like theater 101. Like I remember learning that in like middle school is like when you're delivering a line out to the audience, you should always find one person and like act as if you're speaking directly to them. Mm-hmm. I think this is kind of an extension of that. Uh, Regal hits some knees in a snapmare where he basically he throws Ray across the ring, then taunts him by he drops his knees and starts like acting sorrowful, like "Oh no, poor Ray." He's just mocking the shit out of him. Yeah. Um, the story of Ray being overmatched here, I feel, is being told very well, um, which is a good thing because announcers are have zero interest in this matchup. Ray then surprises Regal, drop kicking him out of the ring before doing um, whatever you call like fakes and spins through the ropes. That's yeah, six one nine. Yeah, dive. I see. I don't think he's ever hit the six one nine in that we've seen yet. Yeah, it's like he does it only as this weird transition where like someone gets away from it. Like it's a like it, yeah, it's only like a few years in that he's like, what if someone actually took that? Yeah, because <laughs> we've only ever seen it miss. It's it's kind of interesting. That's also a uh, taunt in WWF No Mercy, too. You can fake a dive to the outside. Oh, and nice. Does that kind of inside-out thing. Hey, he, Dave, you mentioned um, things that the announcers aren't really that focused on the match. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> one thing I actually enjoyed, though, was at some point Shivani tries to like take a shot at Heenan. I, I don't know if Heenan is wearing a polka dot coat. I don't think he actually is. I think Shivani says, like, He's the kind of guy who would. Mm-hmm. And Bobby is, like, upset, and so he's retorting uh, about what Shivani's wearing. And he says, do you get a bottle of wine with that outfit and three cigarettes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the specificity of uh, three loose cigarettes yeah, awesome. coming with your suit is pretty great. <laughs> and Tony, I, I remember Tony has a reaction where it's like, you got me, but please stop. <laughs> <laughs> uh uh, yeah, so Regal's still out of the ring. Uh, he catches Ray by uh, grabbing him and dropping him th- uh, throat first on the top rope. Uh, Regal drills Ray with a kick to the head and a forearm to the head back in the ring, only to be su- surprised by a schoolboy, which nearly gets Ray the pinfall. 
Regal counters with a schoolboy of his own, and that's also for two. There's nothing worse than being surprised by a schoolboy. <laughs> There's nothing worse. <laughs> Rey Mysterio leaps onto Regal's shoulders and gets a victory roll for a two count, during which you can very faintly hear the timekeeper ring the bell. The action continues as Rey Mysterio goes for a sunset flip off the middle rope, and this time the bell rings for real before there is a three count. So I think there might have been a little bit of a timing issue. Yeah. Um, I, kn- I know the re- a report I read was like, it's this big fuck up. Mm. But I'm like, if you didn't mention it, I wouldn't have noticed that first ring. Sure. It's very, very faint. Yeah. Um, so the Speaking b- of timing issues and big fuck ups. This is a 10-minute draw, right? Yeah, that's, that's what they be, announced it's it is. It's supposed to be a 10-minute draw, yeah. yes. Okay. I timed it. It's 6 minutes and 54 seconds. Yep, yeah. It sure is. It's okay. definitely short. I okay. don't think that's a mistake, though. I think they're just hoping that we won't notice because they've got a lot of ground to cover tonight. I was going to mention this at some point. I guess I'll just mention it now. So they're unopposed tonight uh, because the um, Westminster Dog Show or whatever is on USA. Oh, sure. So Raw is going to be on Thursday this week. So what Nitro is doing very consciously, if you kind of pay attention to the format of the show, they are updating like as many angles as possible because they're like, okay, we're going to get viewers who are like back and forth or maybe they only watch Raw. Like we're going to throw everything at the wall in case there's one thing they decide they're interested in Mm -hmm. and then they become a Nitro viewer instead of a Raw viewer. I thought you meant back and forth with the Westminster dog kennel. (laughs) Oh, you never know. There's always a chance to catch those viewers too. (laughs) So... So, like, this show covers a ton of bases. This is a jam-packed show. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's – I don't think it's a mistake. I think you're right. The bell rung early as a, as a different mistake. Yeah. Um, but I think that they were, like – Eric's just looking at his watch and going, like, no, tell him to go home. Like, we're done. We, yeah. get, we got to move on. Yeah, there, there are a few matches here that feel like that they were suddenly, like, improvised, cut short. Yep. Um. But then, yeah, so it was also confusing because we've mentioned it before. Uh, when you're watching Nitro on TV, you don't hear the ring announcer. So there's and the announcers also because typically when I when we have these draws there, they mention that there's a time limit. There's usually a little bit of foreshadowing by mentioning the time. Right. Yeah. And this time they didn't. And in this case, like I didn't know. I was like, is it 10 or 15? I mean, they're off no matter what. But mm-hmm. Eventually, Tony mentions it's a 10-minute time limit after the match. I also made a note that uh, William Regal, or Steven Regal, I'm sorry, uh, waited 71 seconds to make contact with Rey Mysterio Jr. <laughs> Another good heel move, knowing there's a 10-minute time limit. Yeah. Wastes over a minute of it. I thought that was cool. Lee Marshall is once again on the road for 1-800-COLLECT. He's hanging out with two women at an establishment called Jesse's in Tampa, Florida. Uh, there is a steak and seafood place called Jesse's that's just outside Tampa. I don't know if that's a reference. If he maybe he's getting a discount on a steak by referencing them. <laughs> uh, if it's just more inside jokes, because a lot of the time this is just inside jokes. Uh-huh. Uh, but anyway, Marshall's well, Tampa is the uh, strip club capital of the world. Yes. Well, and the fact that he specifically says something about two women at a place called Jesse's. Yeah. Like I've, he's got to be referencing something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marshall says that he'll be hosting a Nitro party next week in Atlanta at Jock and Jill's at the CNN Center. And given that he's actually given like a time and a place, I think that's really a thing that's going to happen. The first yeah. legitimate Nitro party yeah, ever. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, this week's joke is that the new Major League Baseball team, which is, of course, going to be in Tampa called the Devil Rays, 
uh, and they are being called the Double Rays because someone already had claimed the name the Tampa Bay Weasels. Weasels. <laughs> Bobby warns Lee's waitresses that the difference between Marshall and a canoe is that a canoe tips. Yep. That's a good one. That's funny. That's not bad. No. I mean, coming off of the weasel joke, yeah, yeah, yeah. it sounds brilliant. <laughs> Although, I, the only, yeah, who cares? I'm yeah. not going <laughs> to dissect that joke. With the show being in Tampa next week, Bobby also brings up his uh, true real-life friendship with George Steinbrenner. It's funny that that's, it sounds like a thing he's making up to like get himself over, but he really is good friends with George Steinbrenner. Uh, the Dungeon of Doom music plays, and then suddenly some other generic-sounding music butts in. And then the dungeon music plays again to accompany the arrival of Kevin Sullivan, accompanied by Jimmy Hart and Jacqueline. It is announced that Sullivan will be facing Chris Benoit at Super Brawl. Uh, we'll see if they once again visit the bathroom this time. Uh, and during that match, Jacqueline and Woman will be strapped together. <laughs> Why not? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sullivan's opponent tonight is Maverick Wild, a generic mulleted individual here to be squashed. It's notable that Sullivan, the booker, he does a lot of squashes on Nitro, but he almost always brings in local indie guys because it's like, it's just, a, I think it's a smart political move of, I'm the booker, they're not going to like if I'm just squashing them, even if I pick guys in the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. So I'm just going to bring in local talent and squash them so nobody gets mad at the booker for putting himself over on the talent. Mm -hmm. Real real smart move by Sullivan there. Dick Maverick Wild's career got the uh, Nitro bo uh, bump from this appearance. <laughs> uh, Wild's real name is Scott Dupre. I'm assuming it's pronounced uh, French, otherwise, or Scott Desprez. <laughs> Duprez. Scott Depressed is a very, very old-looking 27 years old here. Oh, no. Uh, he is from the Northeast. This is his only WCW appearance, but he did have a period earlier in the 90s working as a jobber for the WWF where he lost to such names as Mr. Hughes, Adam Bomb, Doink, and Bastion Booger. Hmm. In fact, his loss to Booger in Booger's debut match on Raw puts him on the list of talent who appeared on both Raw and Nitro. Hmm. How about that? Wild is set upon by Sullivan immediately upon enter entering the ring. He's kicked and punched and tossed to the outside where Jacqueline hits him with some stiff-looking punches mm -hmm. before whipping him into the guardrail and clotheslining him. She's really laying it in here, uh, I guess because she's new and they want to get over that she's a woman who's capable of beating the shit out of a man. Yeah. Uh, and it's very effective. The crowd goes insane they, for Jacqueline yes. beating this guy up. It's awesome. It, mi it might be the pop of the night. It mm -hmm. might be Jacqueline beating up this jobber. Yeah. Uh, the announcers are also really effectively playing up how crazy and impressed they are. <laughs> or a crazy woman's doing this. <laughs> Could you believe it? What the hell? Uh, this is a big coincidence, actually, because we're uh, days away from China's debut over on uh, WWF. What a wild coincidence. Yeah. Speaking of Mr. Hughes, did uh, you know he was Triple H's uh, bodyguard before China? Yeah. Made one appearance in January of 97. And then he almost died. Uh, he had some, like, health problems, I think, at diabetes and wound up in the ICU, and they were like, well, let's go to China. And then he comes back eventually because he does stuff with Jericho at some point, right? Yep. Yep. So at least, uh, yeah, uh, thankfully he didn't die, but that's that's why uh, China got that spot. Hmm. Back in the ring, Sullivan continues to put the boots to Wild with a lot of punch kick stuff before dumping him to the outside again. This time, Jacqueline snapmares him, punches him, 
and hits what's admittedly just an okay scoop slam. Yeah. Um, it doesn't go completely well, but it, it's still decent, and everyone is uh, duly impressed. Tony actually remembers that there's a woman's champ and warns Akira Hokuto, who's apparently in China right now, to watch out. Yeah, Bobby Heenan says she should go to China or Burma just to track her down, yeah. challenge her for the title. Yeah, she's so she's in China. Bobby goes, she should get on a plane and fly further away, yeah. <laughs> like Burma. Yeah. <laughs> um, worth noting, uh, Burma, now Myanmar, yeah. actually had its first democratic elections in 1989. But here in 97, they're still basically under the military rule of the State Law and Order Restoration Council. Uh, so the don't go to Burma, no matter what title's on the line. <laughs> uh, let's see, where was I? Sullivan does his running knee uh, into the Tree of Woe spot that he likes doing all the time, kind of mm -hmm. his setup for his finisher, uh, after he gets his back rubbed in the corner by Jacqueline, <laughs> just rubbing sweaty Kevin Sullivan's back mid-match. No, thank you. And Kevin kind of does like a little bit of a, a butt shake. Yeah, a little wiggle. It's like he's acting like a puppy this game pet. And he's like <laughs> 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 uh, he follows that up with the double stomp for the easy squash victory. Uh, as far as Kevin Sullivan squashes go, this was the best one because the Jacqueline stuff was great. Yeah. So, uh, it was a squash <laughs> match for Sullivan that featured very little Sullivan. Yeah. The yeah, this kind. was a this was a successful match from my perspective. I thought it was great, and the crowd, uh, you know, backs me up. The crowd loved it. They were they were totally into it. Uh, I would also say that Wild, kudos to him. He knew his job. He had no problem coming in here and selling for. Her. He sold for her huge. Mm. Um, I don't think that the body slam was like he was sandbagging her or anything. It was yeah. just you know bad timing or a little lack of strength on her part. But mm -hmm. uh, I thought that it was mostly good stuff. Oh, I just wanted to say I think that. The double stomp has got to be like the worst finisher in wrestling history. It's very bad. I hate mm. it. it. I don't think it looks good. It looks like it really hurts, though, which for a move that doesn't look good in front of an audience is like the worst kind of wrestling move you can have. The it's it's a relic of him because he, is he like a Memphis guy or, or something uh, like Florida, that? Florida, I think. He yeah, of. it's definitely a <laughs> early 80s territory mm -hmm. relic. Kevin Sullivan is definitely a Florida man. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say the best version of it is what um, Finn Balor hits, and it still looks kind of crappy. Yeah. because like it's just off the top rope. It is, yeah. So he's got the impressive height, but it's always just very clear the way the guy is, like, buckling his knees in a way that makes it, you know, not actually hurt that much. Now, Sullivan's sometimes... I'll say looks better because he's not considering his opponent's safety as much, mm -hmm, but yeah. it's these local guys. So sometimes he's just kind of stomping them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree. It's never been a finisher that particularly works for me. Uh, this next segment, boy, oh boy. Uh, Sullivan does a work shoot kind of promo. Uh, I'm going to, I'm not going to go through it word for word. It's like pure off the top of the cuff insanity. Super Brawl, the Taskmaster. This isn't a wrestling interview. I'm talking to two people. Nancy, Chris, last night, I was laying in my bed alone, 11.20, Nancy, and the second closest person in your life called me, Paulie, and he told me How's everything going? And I said, the deal's gone south. And he said to me, 
Listen, you've worked too hard. You've driven up and down the road for years. You've bled to lose this job. This is the number one watched cable program in the United States, and I'm part of it, a big part of it. And he told me no sides did he take because he happens to think a lot of you. But he said, do your job. Then he said to me, what would your mentor, Jim Barnett, say to you? He said, ha, do your job. Then he said, what would your tag team partner and former best friend, don't wrap me up, shut up. He said, what would your best friend say to you? Mark Lewin, one thing leads to another, but do your job. What would King Curtis say to you? You've been through a lot of invasions, but do your job. Benoit, when you first came to WCW, you asked me if she was really that pure. She lived with me for 12 years and picked up some bad habits. Nancy, when you were on the stairs of the lighthouse and you said, I do, you knew it wasn't no better roses. Let me tell you something right now. The difference between Nancy, Jacqueline, and myself is you come from a community and we come from the neighborhood. And the deal is this simple. I can go back to Second and Ridgewood and get anything I want at any time. And Nancy, you've been bluffing people for 10 years saying that you're tough. You got no main charge ever against you. You never pulled out an eye and you never bit anybody's nose off. It was the guy you live with that did all that stuff. So I'm going to tell you this. In San Francisco, the first night you was in, you tucked something under your skirt because you were intimidated. I'm going to make it real clear. In San Francisco, when she whips you, if you reach for anything under that dress, you got to pay to me because this is the most important person in my life now. Taskmaster, what? It's Kevin right now tonight. Real simple. You want to talk? Let her talk. Jacqueline, at Super Brawl, you're going to be strapped to woman. Nancy, see, let me set you straight. See, you and I are different. You came from a community. Kevin and I come from a neighborhood. See, you might think you're tough in your community. Honey, you won't be nothing in my neighborhood. And if you think Chris Benoit is going to uh, protect you, save you, listen, in my neighborhood to survive, you have to beat everybody, man or woman. And the only person I thought could beat me is this man here, Kevin. She is here, Tony Schiavone, the situation surrounding the Dungeon of Doom gets stranger and stranger. A straight up interview for the yeah, um, my eyes like rolled into the back of my head and I fell off my bed. Yeah, and it was like four <laughs> or five minutes long. Too. It just yeah. kept it just yeah. kept going. Oh. The thing I liked about it the most uh, is at the very beginning, right when he's about to start speaking, a guy is very loudly picked yes. up going, Taskmaster, you suck! Yeah. <laughs> it's so loud yeah. and so perfectly timed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, he starts off by letting us know that this is going to be a shoot, uh, saying this isn't a wrestling interview. Oh, he says that he wants to address two people. He tells Nancy and Chris uh, that last night he was up talking to their mutual friend, Paul E. 
which is funny because they are really good friends and it is actually true that he was talking to Heyman on the phone recently <laughs> um but Heyman's whole thing in ECW is about how WCW sucks so like here their booker is on TV being like yeah we talk all the time we're good friends yeah he's, he he's the guy me- I call about my marriage problems <laughs> he tells me my work sucks and I come <laughs> back to work uh, he rambles about all the work that he's put into making Nitro the number one wrestling show and about how Heyman didn't take any sides because he likes both Nancy and Sullivan. Uh, he says that Heyman just kept telling him to do his job. He asked what his mentor, longtime wrestling promoter Jim Barnett, would tell him. Uh, at this point in history, Jim Barnett is a senior advisor for WCW, so you could just call him and ask him. It's not <laughs> yeah. they act like he's dead or something. Like, right? He works for your company. Yeah. yeah. What would he think? And he's like, I'm over here. <laughs> <laughs> he I had, don't think it's good. <laughs> <laughs> he asked what Sullivan's former tag team partner Mark Lewin would say. Uh, what would King Curtis say? Jesus Christ! Yeah, King what Curtis. Is this? He's Sullivan is obsessed with King Curtis. We saw uh-huh. him bring him in as the master just to like get him yeah. some more paydays. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, do your job is apparently what everyone would tell him. Sullivan rambles and rambles about their marriage and their history. Uh, he like makes references to specific intersections. I presume they live at. <laughs> like it's just it's such a bizarre. It's such a bizarre promo, and to like be watching it when it was on, it, like it's it's even in retrospect where we know that he's kind of trying to work the boys and all this stuff. Like it's it still is odd. I can't imagine being a casual viewer at the time. Yeah, and you turn on this guy is just like yelling about his neighborhood and all this bullshit. Uh, the one thing that I liked that he had in there was his one good line was he he says, "Nancy, you come from a community." But me and Jacqueline, we come from a neighborhood. Yeah. And I like he's you know, it's a little Romeo and Juliet. You you grew up in a rich, you know, nice area. I grew up on the mean streets kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jacqueline must have liked that line too, because she repeats it word for word yeah. when it's her turn to talk. <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. That's <laughs> what I'm gonna say. And I don't know whether to blame her or to blame uh Sullivan because maybe that was supposed to be her line and he just forgot and worked it in mm. to his ramblings. She says that in her neighborhood to survive, you had to beat everyone, man or woman, and the only person that she thought could beat her was Kevin. <laughs> I don't know. That's a bizarre thing to say. Uh, here's my daughter, Juliana. What's up, sweetie? Do you like, Ju- Juliana, do you like wrestling? Uh, um, I just like wrestling. Okay, that's no. the right answer. <laughs> All right, you go inside, honey. See you in San Francisco, says Sullivan, and they bail. Uh, really awful stuff. I thought this <laughs> just the worst. Yeah, this just sucks. dumb. This was just aimless rambling uh, meant to work the boys. And I still do not understand, like, to what end do you work? Who, like, wor- who on earth is really convinced this is a shoot? Who makes know? money? Even if you work the boys, which yeah. you're not. If you read the uh, dirt sheets at the time, both uh, Wade Keller and Dave Meltzer are like, this is a work. It's just a work. They think they're working the boys. None of the boys are convinced. Yeah. Nobody knows why they're doing this. Right. It's like they did the thing with Pillman and it was like kind of successful and fun. It still didn't like really make money except for Brian Pillman. <laughs> yeah. And that was the point, really. <laughs> um, and it just seems like he keeps trying to capture that lightning in a bottle again. It's it just, none of it worked for me. I think. Yeah. We're unanimous in that opinion. Yep. That sucked. And I mean, we're still going on with this feud that like. Last June, they yeah. had their their big like false count anywhere match, and it was like it felt like oh finally this yeah. feud's finally over. And then it's just like 
Kevin Sullivan for being the booker doesn't know what to book for himself really yeah. and it's just like oh, I'll just feud with Benoit again like we've seen this it feels like a thousand times and yeah. it's not really that we've seen each other, them wrestle each other they talk about each other yeah all the time and I'm just it's just like can we just get on with it seriously yeah and and Sullivan's whole thing was like I was gonna make Benoit the biggest star but it's like you've already had by this point what four or five matches that we've seen. Mm. I think Benoit's won all of them. Like, what is he going to get out of beating you again? Right. He has to move on to something else. He has to move on right. to something else. Uh. Anyway, I also need to move on to something else because I hate this segment. I don't want to yeah. talk about it anymore. It was bad. Uh, after a commercial, we see the nose guard of the Jacksonville Jaguars in the crowd before Tony summarizes the Roddy Piper developments from last week. They then show the almost the entire segment uh, from last week again, mm-hmm. um, which again is because there might be people that didn't see it because they were watching Raw, but now this week there is no Raw. So, yeah. it, that, you know, it kind of goes a little long, but it makes sense from a business perspective why you would do this. Right. Um, I'm pretty embarrassed watching it again that I missed Hogan slap Piper's head when we talked about it last week. Because yeah. it is the the whole thing turns on it, and it's a big obvious part. Oh, I'm sure we talked about that. No, we, we did. I missed it, and yeah. Dave oh. missed it, and you pointed it out. No, and we I, were yeah, pointed. baby. Oh, you pointed. I it pointed. Out. It okay. <laughs> You're right. Somebody somebody pointed it out. <laughs> I know that I was the one. I was the one yeah. recapping it, and I missed it because I'm sure because I was typing notes mm-hmm. and uh, and not looking up at the time. Yeah, I think there was. It, for that episode, I think there was a little bit of confusion as far as why he attacked him. And yeah. I was I was like, oh, no, he slaps him in the back yeah. of the head. So okay. Yeah. Uh, then we go to a commercial. Um, it's definitely felt a little overstuffed and chaotic uh, before, but uh, it, it's still doing a good job, like I said, advancing these angles. We then get uh, on the other side of the break. We get Hugh Morris walking quickly to the ring. All business. None of his usual laughing stuff uh, that he gives us. He just <laughs> walks out there. He's going to be taking on Alex Wright, who also comes down to the ring rather quickly. Uh, none of his dancing. I'm guessing that we might be a little behind now. <laughs> right. uh, I'm assuming Sullivan's rambling is what put us off there. Yeah. Uh, but they Robbed also did of precious humorous in ring time. <laughs> mm-hmm. But they also showed like seven minutes of Roddy Piper from last week, so it, it could be a number of things. Uh, but here to call all the action is a man who always finds the time to laugh, John Amendorp. No one loves a good joke more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I noted first Hugh Morris comes out in this like weird like 80s looking vest with like white tassels all over it. Yeah. It looks like something the Rock and Roll Express would have worn in like 1973 <laughs> or something. Mm-hmm. Weird for a guy in the Dungeon of Doom. Um, when Alex Wright comes out, they're... It's like a couple of Hooters girls or something. They do a close up on and they're they look interested and horny for him, which is <laughs> accurate. <laughs> um, Hugh Morris starts out, shoves Alex right in the corner. He's pounding on his back with forearms. Uh, they're in fast forward because they know <laughs> they don't have very much time. Uh, Alex Wright uh, ducks under one of the swings and gets a two count with another unexpected schoolboy. Uh, Alex Wright whips Hugh Morris into the opposite corner. Hugh Morris comes back with a nice-looking lariat. Uh, another whip in the ropes. Hugh Morris with a leapfrog that's a little worse than Conan's first one, but better than the second one, <laughs> I think. <laughs> the timing was also yeah. weird on it, and like he only gets like six inches off the ground. This is it. the midpoint between Conan's two leapfrogs. Yeah, yeah if you this averaged is, him out, yeah, that's about yeah, what you Hugh get Morris this one. can yeah. give you. Yeah. 
Um, uh, Alex Wright uh, hits a spinning heel kick, knocks Hugh Morris to the outside. Uh, hits a ni- Alex Wright hits a nice dive off the top onto Hugh Morris. Uh, I thought it looked awesome. Uh, more European uppercuts from Alex Wright, uh, like we mentioned last week. It's nice in character for the European guy. Um, Alex Wright with an Irish whip. Uh, Hugh Morris holds on, and Alex crashes to the mat with a missed drop kick. Uh, missed hoe train in the corner by Hugh Morris. Um, and Alex Wright goes for some kind of springboard move, but I think he, one of his feet slipped, so he just kind of falls. Mm. And then Hugh Morris buries him with a power bomb. <laughs> that looked awesome. Uh, then Hugh Morris hits a no laughing matter moonsaults. Um, also look great. In terms of moonsaults, I would compare his favorably to Bam Bam Bigelow, and I think it's similar in kind of grace and quality to, like, Vader. It's just everything else is worse than both those guys. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Hugh Morris gets a win, though. Matches a little under two minutes. Uh, I thought it was an effective squash, but pretty late in the card for a Hugh Morris squash, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and you're right, because I'm glad you found some things to put over in that match, because I have a one-word review in my notes. It says, fine. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's uh, I think that's reflective of, like, yeah, you know, it feels like we're building up to, like, the end of the show here, some of the more important parts, and then we take this diversion for these guys. It was a little, yeah, it's just like, okay, uh, fine, like, could we please get to something I want to see? Yeah, it, yeah, it felt like it was, they were being rushed, and then it was like, oh, we have to end this quickly. And then once Alex Wright slipped, Hugh Morse is like, okay, well, we're ending it now. Right. Like, it's called being a ring general, Dave. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, it's, I don't know if I just haven't been paying attention. I know Hugh Morris is like a big guy. Yeah. But this week, he looks kind of just like out of shape. I just I felt like he was he just was not looking as good. I don't know if he – maybe that's just the way he always looks. And I just never really sure. paid attention. But – um, humor like humor has, if you're like kind of followed his win loss record on nitro, it's like, you have no idea what on earth they're doing with this guy. Yeah. Know? They, sometimes they bring him in and they have him squash people, but it's like for no purpose. Right. It never, yeah. It never feels like it's going anywhere. Yeah. After a commercial, we're still trying to make up time as we come back to Mongo and Jeff Jarrett entering, uh, they're like almost to the ring already along with Deborah and woman and their opponents are the very odd team of Chavo Guerrero and Jeff Jarrett who are already in the ring. Right. So, like, mm-hmm. we, are, we are definitely trying to zip, uh, catch up some time here and still hit everything we want to hit. Yeah, Chavo Guerrero. What a unexpected appearance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a very strange matchup. Uh, Main eventer, Chavo Guerrero Jr. <laughs> yeah, how about that? Yeah. Benoit Chavo start things off with Benoit getting the advantage with his striking. Chavo is able to stop the crippler with a drop kick and a couple of head scissor takeovers, followed by a tilt whirl backbreaker for a two and then another drop kick. Chavo is fired up, and the crowd is the opposite of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he brings in Jarrett, and they hit a drop toe hold elbow drop combination. Actually, a nice little tag team move for two guys completely thrown together. Jarrett sends Benoit into the corner chest first, Brett style, before laying him out with a side suplex. Jarrett struts to booze, then runs the ropes, and Mongo kicks him in the back, giving Benoit the chance to regain control. In comes Mongo. He goes right for the power slam for two. He isolates Jeff in the horseman corner and tags Benoit back in. Tony Schiavone yells... 
Tony Schiavone tells a story about how he and Mongo were hanging out a few weeks ago, and Mongo <laughs> took a pool cue and hit himself in the head four or five times. <laughs> right. This sounds like a true story. <laughs> I totally believe that story, too. When Tony asked why he did it, Mongo just said, I wanted to see if I still had it. All right. It being the ability to get hit in the head four or five times by a pool cue, I guess. Bobby says that people hanging out with Tony often resort to hitting themselves. Yeah. I, <laughs> I knew that he made some joke right afterwards, yeah. and I just like missed it, and I was, just, I was like, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to go back. I'm sure it's funny, though. Jarrett tags in Chavo, who takes it to Benoit with punches and several dropkicks on Mongo. He slams Benoit in the middle of the ring and hits a moonsault for two. They're really kind of putting Chavo over. Like, not putting him over, but they're giving mm. him a lot of chance to shine right. in this short, odd tag match. For really no goal. Right. Outside the ring, Deborah is talking with Jarrett flirtatiously while blocking him from being able to get back into the ring to bail out Chavo. Mongo gets the tag and hits the power slam. Bobby racistly says so much for La Bamba, and Jarrett hightails it. Uh, Deborah walks with him for a bit, and Tony and Bobby speculate on her feelings for Jeff. Uh, I didn't even... I do this often, I know. I don't actually write that there is a three count. Uh, he hits the mm. power slam and, and pins him. That's the so much for La Bamba. Well, uh, uh, Stephen Michael did a tombstone pile driver. Oh, okay. I wrote power slam. Uh, maybe, okay, it whatever. that because I remember being like, why do they give him that move as a finisher? Sure. He's going to kill someone. Yeah, the main thing that we're getting here is that uh, Jeff was kind of talking to Deborah. That's the whole point. Like, Chavo is ancillary to the story being yeah. told. Yeah, and it's uh, the idea with, with Deborah and Jared is like, it's like, well, you can see it two ways. One, she's just really interested in him and not paying attention to his her husband's match. Right. Where on the other hand, and like you mentioned, she could also be distracting him to make sure that they win by isolating Chavo. Um, I mean, uh, who knows if they're really going to, I mean, this is another one of those angles where it's just like, just get on with it already. Like who, yeah. I think, I think that's maybe one of the reasons why the fans were not into this match. Cause they're like, they are not into this angle, this feud because yeah. it, it never gets resolved and it doesn't seem like there's a point to it. Uh, yeah, I thought the match also sucked. It was just in a dead spot. I, I yeah. think if it was earlier in the crowd in the card, the crowd would have been better, and then I think I probably would have enjoyed the match more. Um, but it's more like kind of functional booking uh, that got Jared over kind of as like a coward, yeah. not wanting to face Mongo man to man, but very forgettable. Uh, afterward, Deborah and Mongo argue in the ring while Chris and Nancy look on. Arn Anderson and Ric Flair join them for an interview with Mike Tanay. Arn says that everyone in WCW is preparing for war, the NWO, the Dungeon of Doom, Sting and Savage, and the Horsemen. He warns Jeff about flirting with Deborah, implying that Mongo kicked the shit out of the last guy who tried it. Yeah. He offers some encouraging words for Benoit in his match with Sullivan, and then turns it over to Flair. Flair plays the hits. Uh, he says absolutely nothing new. It's yep. all just classic <laughs> Flair stuff. Right. But he's certainly saying it very loudly. <laughs> uh, frankly, he seemed coked out of his gourd. <laughs> Benoit, who he praised for having a good promo last week, uh, starts out saying that he and Sullivan have similar personalities and ideologies. He tells Kevin from his heart that Sullivan can stick it. Which is a very <laughs> funny thing to say. From the bottom of my heart, 
fuck you. <laughs> uh, he's tired, woman's tired, and Sullivan is playing a game that he'll never win. Uh, it's not quite as good as last week where like I really went out of my way to be like, oh, good job. But yeah. it's also not like uh, a bad Benoit promo either. It's it's pretty fine. Yeah. Mongo makes fun of the Jacksonville crowd for the Jaguars' recent loss in the AFC Championship game. He then confronts Deborah about the back and forth with Jarrett. Deborah has popcorn that was thrown at her by a fan stuck in her hair, and mm. it, like no one can get it out, so it's just there her entire promo. I couldn't tell if it was. I thought it was gum. Ooh. Do not use a bone to get it out. <laughs> That's a little Simpsons for you. Deborah says that she wants Jarrett to be a horseman, but she loves Mongo. She was so devastated at the loss she caused last week that she couldn't shop for a whole week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's such dumb, classic misogyny women be shopping things, uh -huh. but it is, like, her delivery, it's, it's wooden, but it also is funny. Yeah. She walks such a weird line of being wooden, and yet I constantly amused by her in different yeah. ways. She's like, I don't know what came over me. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't shop for a week. <laughs> Mongo says if Jarrett can beat him in San Francisco... He can be a horseman. Deborah says that they call Sullivan and Jacqueline the... F oh, God, I hate this this line. God. Okay, so she says they call Sullivan and Jacqueline the fastidious couple because she's fast and he's hideous. Oh. Clearly, the joke is meant to be that he's tedious. Yes. But that joke still only works if you mispronounce fastidious. <laughs> so, like... The joke is predicated on you mispronouncing something, and she mm -hmm. still messed it up yeah. and said a different word. Someone, yeah, it, oh. someone gave that joke as an idea for her, and, <laughs> and she did it without really understanding yeah. the joke, is my feeling. It would have been great if she would have landed the joke, because like 10 minutes earlier in the show was like an eight-minute Kevin Sullivan promo, which is like yeah. a definition yeah. of tedious. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> There's like the, the crowd cheers. <laughs> At this point, I, I hate to say it, but I feel like I could go maybe two, three weeks without a horseman promo. We get them every week, and, like, they're becoming a little bad and stale. I mean, and just, they're, because they have two different feuds yeah. that have to end. Yep. And and the thing is, I, I and I don't really remember how they wind up, but, yeah. like, I'm not optimistic they're going to end at Super Brawl either. Yeah. I mean... I'd also say that I'm not optimistic that the whole Kevin Sullivan, Chris Benoit, Nancy feud will end and well. well uh, <laughs> Dave's just giving me the cut it out sign. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> we'll see if that makes the final cut of the episode. Roddy's music plays and out comes Piper alone, but with Pyro. Tony tells us that Hogan is also standing by live via satellite from NWO Studios in Hollywood. I like the idea of NWO yeah. Studios. <laughs> it reminds me of Nickelodeon Studios for some reason, when they'd be like, live from Nickelodeon Studios. I wish that if the NWO had gotten their own show, like had been talked about for a while, mm -hmm. they'd been like, live from NWO Studios. That would have yeah. been cool as hell. Is it like Nickelodeon where everyone gets slimed at the end? Yes. Too? Yeah, it is. It would be great. Yeah, if they, it was just like corny as hell. Yeah, and hosted by Kevin, like Hall and Nash. Uh, indeed, we go to picture in picture with Piper in the ring on the left and Hogan in black and white standing in front of a projection screen showing NWO highlights on the right. I was, I kept, I was trying to figure out. It's like, is he actually in the arena, but just backstage? I think so. Yeah, 
I don't think like almost always when they're doing live VSA. I mean, now it's different because technology is much much different. Mm-hmm. But back then, there are a few ex- uh, different examples. Like there was one with Brett recently uh, in WWF that was actually I remember from his actual home. Yeah. But like by and large, it's just something they set up in the back. Yeah. Hang on, guys. <laughs> Hang on, hang on, hang on. There you see, Hogan. I appreciate it, but hang on. It's too much for me. I caught Eric Bischoff act out here with Randy Anderson. Getting on Randy Anderson's kids. Nah, man. That's too much crap for me, man. Uh, Stop. Stop. I did not come here, Hogan. I did not come here to talk to you via some goofball satellite while you hide in Hollywood. I came here because last week you said you wanted to fight. You know, this family stuff, this family stuff is too much for me. Too much for me. I made a promise. I made a promise to my little kid Colton. I made a promise to my boy that I was quitting, that I was giving it all up. Quit chasing them dreams, Roddy. That I was going to be the Colton, I was time to go home and be the father to Colton that I never had. I missed half my kids growing up. I have a responsibility. And then you, you bald-headed geek, you had to come out. You had to come out. You're a you man. Come out and make me break my promise to my little boy, Colton. You know something, though? I tell you, boy, just, just stick with me if you would, would you, huh? Just stick with me because I'm going someplace and you are going to like it. I went over to my little boy, Colton. And I knew what I was going to do, Hogan. You and Eric Bishop, what are you, married man? Is that what's going on? What are you in Frisco right now? I knelt down on one knee to Colt. I said, Colt, I'm sorry for what I'm going to do. You know what he said to me, man? He's a little mad. He said, go get him, Daddy. Tell somebody who shut cares. Up, shut up. Tell shut somebody up. who cares. That gave me a license to kill, and you're the target. Oh, that's great. You know, you're more pathetic than either. Either dreamed you were a piper. You know something? When your little boy said, go and get him, Dad, did you tell him that you've already tried to go and get him and you couldn't get the job done? Oh, I, I got it. You covered that up with the, the dotted up footage that you put together trying to show the whole world you supposedly could beat me. That's probably what you showed your son. But you know, what lie did you tell your son when you said that you, that you would retire, that you said you'd be the, the father you're supposed to be, and then all of a sudden you attacked people from behind? the heavyweight champion and one of the highest ranking officials in the WCW. What'd you tell him then? And you know something, Piper? I don't have time to drop my schedule. 
I've got multi-million dollar movie contracts. I've got people waiting in line for the opportunity to get in the ring with Hollywood. You couldn't get it done, my friend. And all I have to say to you, is Piper, is two weeks from now, I signed a contract to put the NWO title up and beat you again. But in the Cow Palace, Rowdy Roddy Piper, with all your so-called fans behind you, you won't be able to take all your six kids in the ring to hide behind because in the Cow Palace, on the contract you signed, the WCW doesn't allow cowards to hide behind their kids, you puke. You shut your big fat mouth up! <laughs> because I am the icon! And you know something? In the O.J. Simpson trial, some folks say guilty, some folks say not. In San Francisco, they're gonna say, Piper, guilty! Hogan, finished! You're out of line, man. That's illegal, you're out of line. You're nuts, Piper, you're nuts. The only difference between you and Rodman in San Francisco when I get finished is you can't jump. Piper is angry tonight. Uh, first about the treatment of Randy Anderson by Eric Bischoff. <laughs> is he? <laughs> <laughs> and then about being asked to talk to Hulk Hogan via this goofball setup. <laughs> right. I'm with I'm with you. I'm totally on I'm his with side. You. It's a goofball setup. <laughs> Piper wants to fight. He made a promise to his son that he was gonna quit, but Hogan, that bald-headed geek, came out and made him break that promise. <laughs> he implies that Hogan and Bischoff are gay and married, and that's why they're all going to San Francisco. Ooh. I'm not sure how that's gonna help Roddy be the babyface when they go to San Francisco. <laughs> this um, town is full of gay people. That plays pretty well in Jacksonville, though. That's yeah, yeah that's yeah. true. Roddy says that he apologized to his son Colt uh, for breaking his promise, and Colt said. Go get him, Daddy. <laughs> Colt. <laughs> Hogan tries to interrupt, but Piper yells to shut up. He says he has a license to kill, and Hogan is the target. Jeez. Hogan is unimpressed and sticks with his story that Piper lost at Starcade and then doctored the footage to make people think that he could beat Hulk. Hmm. I love how preposterous that is, yeah. and yet how committed Hogan is to that lie. Mm-hmm. It's it's getting like for a while I thought it was dumb, but it's winning me over as actually being pretty awesome. <laughs> Hogan says that Piper lied to his kid and then attacked people from behind. He says that two weeks from now, he'll sign the contract for the match and that in the cow palace, Piper won't have his kids to hide behind. Piper <laughs> Piper has the extremely weird comeback that in the O.J. Simpson trial, some people say guilty and some people said not. But at Super Brawl, everyone will say Piper guilty, Hogan finished. Hmm. So he's, in a, he's saying he's going to murder him. <laughs> That's what he's getting at. I guess it's just such a weird thing to bring up. I, it's really, really odd the way that that line plays. I don't get it at all. Uh, but I also like Hogan's reply, which is, That's illegal. You're out of line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a sport in which guys have threatened to kill the other guy for decades. And this is the first time that someone's ever went, Actually, that's illegal. You can right. get in a lot of trouble if you did that. Right. Piper says that the only difference between Hogan and Rodman is that Hogan can't jump. 
I, again, I don't know what this free association going on in Piper's head is. Mm. No one's brought up Dennis Rodman at all. He has no, uh, he's not in Jacksonville. He doesn't play in Florida. He doesn't play uh, for the Golden State Warriors in the Bay Area. I mean, the only thing I could think of is that there's the whole Rodman talking to both the companies. But that, and that could be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a little too early for that. Well, like, he's. I think that's like. Well, oh no, I guess. No, he's talking because yeah, we talked about it on yeah. Worldwide that, that yeah. they're both talking to him. Yeah. Um, the other thing oh, that I was I thinking to, oh, is that Rodman's sexuality was constantly being questioned. So it was another like San Francisco thing. That's probably, I mean, his book, Bad As I Want to Be, came out and he's wearing like a wedding dress yeah. on the cover. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe he's saying he's like, like, that guy's kind of fruity and I called you guys kind of fruity and San Francisco's on my mind. But at least he can jump. You're a gay man that can't jump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As if with his artificial <laughs> hip, Piper's got a lot of vertical leap to him these days. Super brawl, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Order the pay-per-view. Uh, it was a very, very weird segment, and I was so effusive in my praise at their segment last week. <laughs> you had uh, this coming. <laughs> this, Yeah, this was a real, real letdown, a real crappy segment. Um, the satellite thing just did not work at all. Uh, Piper's initial promo started out really strong mm-hmm. and then just got like free association bizarre. Uh, so, yeah, this did not work for me anything close to what last week's did. Dave, how about you? Yeah. And that that was, I mean, once I started seeing like how quickly Hogan was able to react to what Piper was saying, I was like, oh, he's backstage. Yeah. This yeah. is not an actual sa- satellite in 1997. Right. Otherwise, we would have all these delays and stuff. Like right. That. Um. Plus, where would he be via sa- satellite that there's a giant projection screen behind him ready NWO to go? Studios. Yeah, the studios. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they got the you know, projection wall Oh, of there. course, the very real place. <laughs> yeah, right. yep. yeah, of course. My bad. Um, no, this was just this was just pointless. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, like halfway through, I'm like, yeah, they have a few more weeks. They have to make appearances to yeah. hype it up. But they, these two have nothing new to say to each other. Yeah. You know, it, it's not like this is a new feud. They've wrestled each other for like 10, 12 years. Like, right. There's not, there's no new ground to cover. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's probably why Piper's like, I'll start bringing up gay stuff. Yeah. yeah and, and talk about murdering you. <laughs> talk about murdering you. And it, it's going to get, uh, not to look too far ahead, but it's going to get weird next week with another, like, uh, some very strange Piper vignettes filmed remotely in the San Francisco area. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, for those. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking yep. about. Right. And in fact, you know what? I'll, I'll spoil it uh, just a little bit to say that he visits Alcatraz. And the reason I want to spoil it is uh, for anyone really interested before we talk about next week. If you listen to the Secrets of Nitro podcast by friend of the show, Neil Pruitt, uh, one episode talks just about how they film those segments. Oh, uh, sure. So that's cool. that's kind of a fun one to listen to. So I'll plug that. Um, yeah, I, I thought this was main because this is like basically our main event, and it's right. like it's such a letdown. Absolutely, John. What did yeah. you think? Uh, I didn't think it was very good either. Like Piper got a pop befitting like the top babyface on the roster, but mm-hmm. um, I generally find him very hit and miss on his promos, and this I think was a pretty big miss. Um, I did like the license to kill line just because I just happened to watch that Timothy Dalton Bond movie like two weeks ago. Yeah, you're working through the Bonds, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, shout out to uh, my favorite Bond girl, Pam Bouvier, uh, co-star <laughs> of License to Kill. Bouvier? Yep. 
Mrs. Boomier. Another Simpsons (laughs) reference. Otherwise, I I did not enjoy the segment very much, although I did kind of like the heel heat of last week I slapped you right in front of your kid. This week I'm not even going to show up to the ring. Yeah. But those picture-in-picture promos are very hard to pull off like this. Yeah, and imagine watching this on like a 19-inch TV back in 1997, you know, like, Mm -hmm. oh, boy. Yeah, no thank you. So overall... Uh, what were our thoughts on the show? Uh, let's, Dave. Why don't we start with you? What did you think of of this episode of Nitro as a as a cohesive piece of art? Well, I was going to say because I didn't realize that they were not head to head. Yeah. Um. So that now I realize the motivation behind it. But I was like, I felt like this show in particular had a lot more hype up for different matches for mm-hmm. Super Brawl, which I always think is a plus. Mm-hmm. I kind of bring mm-hmm. up a lot when it comes to Nitro of like. Are they hyping up the next pay-per-view? Is there a reason to order the pay-per-view? Yeah. Um, so everything got mentioned, Yep. but most of the hype up wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is a particularly good Nitro, and some Nitros have to be down on the list. Yeah. Otherwise, how do you make a list? Um, yeah, this is a really uh, forgettable episode. Um and I don't know. I mean, it's just, I was also kind of like, oh, we still have like two more weeks before. Super <laughs> <Bowl>. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Plenty of there time are, to go. There, there have been a few of those where the pay-per-views are like maybe like five or six weeks in between. Yeah. And some of those episodes are just like, we got to stretch this out a little mm-hmm. bit longer. I don't know how many times I've heard those horsemen promos before. Yes. How many times we have to have. Deborah and McMichael mad at each other. It's yeah. a lot of the stuff we've just seen so many times. Yeah. It's to the point where I'm like, I don't, I can't really even differentiate them enough to say if this was good or bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, generally this was just, uh, this was a challenge to stay focused on. Sure. Um, I mean, which is disappointing because like Malenko and Guerrero was pr- even that was, I think we all kind of were saying, we're kind of saying like, They've just wrestled each other too many times, you know? Everything about this episode was like they've gone to these wells like far too many times. Sure, yeah. They went to the Ron Powers well yes. too many times. Yep. Um, yeah, I agree. Like for a two-hour show that's like 90 minutes without commercials, this kind of seemed to drag on. And mm. I, it's like the first one of these we've done that I haven't been able to finish it in one sitting. Um. I thought uh, Malenko versus Eddie was good while it lasted, but it was too short. Um, I thought the Steiner brothers looked really good, even though their match wasn't great, and it was also really short. Uh, generally liked kind of the NWO bullshit strewn throughout the show. Uh, Ray versus Regal was not as good as I thought it would be. Um, and Piper and Hogan um, kind of lived down to my expectations after a super hot promo last week. Um, so yeah, overall, this is one of my lesser favorite episodes of Nitro I've seen so far. Yeah, and I'm going to concur with you guys. Uh, I don't have a lot to add necessarily. It just it felt um, even if there was good reason behind some of it, it felt a little overstuffed and thus kind of chaotic and incoherent. It was kind of like a Russo style crash TV without like the offensiveness. Mm. I mean, not that there weren't some moments that were, but you know what I mean. Right. It, yeah. mm-hmm. it didn't have the Russo content, but that yeah. Russo just like thing to thing to thing to thing to thing mm-hmm. feel to it um, that by the end, I just kind of felt like exhausted by the show. Yeah. Uh, and I think I didn't actually look, but I feel like I had like two to three more pages of notes. 
And it wasn't that I felt I had a lot to say on everything. There was just so much to describe uh, that I knew, like, God, I'm going to just... I knew this was going to be kind of a long episode because there was just so much to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, not a very good Nitro. Uh, hopefully we do better next week. We'll see. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, so all that being said, there's only one thing that's left for us to do, and that's say our match of the night and our MVP. Uh, we'll start with our MVP, and I'm going to go first. My MVP was, uh, oh, now I forget the, uh, goddamn. No. We're going to start with MVP, and Dave, who is your MVP of the show? I'm going to give my MVP to Miss Jacqueline. Um, I thought that she was a, on a show in which m- most people did not look impressive. She looked particularly impressive. And I, it, it felt really good for her and her character since like the last like week or two. She kind of had like unfortunate moments or like promos that didn't seem like they really played out. Yeah. But like. Instead of having her talking, just having her mauling Maverick Wild, <laughs> yeah, that was great. Yeah. And the fact that the crowd went crazy, to me as an audience, it's making me like want to pay attention to her a little bit more because yep. it's like, oh, everyone else thinks this is awesome too. Yeah. So, yep. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah, I thought that I thought that she was great. Um, this is of her two or three appearances. This is easily the best that she's looked. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Just have her. Do the physical stuff. Don't yep. just stop having her stand there and yeah. give like these like cryptic promo. I mean, because there's still that too. So it's a little bit <laughs> yeah, yeah, bit yeah. Miss, but like definitely Miss Jacqueline is my MVP. All right, John. Uh, my MVP is Eric Bischoff. He was in like three or four segments. I thought he uh, added to all of them. Uh, I'm a huge fan of his character, and uh, I enjoyed his work this week. Uh, MVP on a very lesser Nitro. I will say. Sure. Fair enough. My MVP of the show uh, is actually a co-MVP, and I'm giving it to Chase and Montana Anderson. Oh, Jesus. Uh, again, I, I I should look it up, but I'll try to find by Worldwide if those were indeed his real kids or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's real kids, then I'm like, then there's not even a hint of irony. I'm giving that to them, like, full bore. If they're professional actors, then, like, hey, still good job. But then maybe I'm a little tongue-in-cheek, but... Just knowing the way that kids can freeze up or, like, go off script or say bizarre things when you <laughs> ask them direct questions, even when you go over what they're going to say, uh, I thought they did a great job. So those are my MVPs. Uh, and then uh, segment of the night, I am going to go with the uh, uh, D- uh, Malenko-Eddie match from the opening. Um I guess I could have gone with Sullivan because it had that cool Jackie stuff, but if I'm considering it segment, then I feel like I'm lumping in the promo. You, you have to lump in the promo. <laughs> so I, yeah. that's not my segment of the yeah. night. Yeah, so I'm going to go with uh, Dean versus Eddie. John, what was your segment of the night? Uh, Dean versus Eddie, too. Um, like we said, it was a little too short, but the action in it was really good. So that's my favorite segment. Great. Dave, take us home. Uh, mine's also Dean Malenko versus Eddie Guerrero. I don't like feel proud of it. because it's not I mean I I think of all the Malenko Guerrero matches it's probably ranked last of the ones I've seen so far Mm, interesting Um, question but um, yeah yeah, it's it's the best out of what we received tonight yeah Um, and also I mean I liked uh, Malenko doing a promo Uh, that's yeah yeah that's different 
um, and that they continued on this uh, this angle with six, which we now realize is going to be this the cruiserweight title match between him and Malenko, yeah. which I think will be a, a a very interesting sort of like clash of um, abilities there. Um, I'm I'm interested. It left me interested in Malenko versus Six, which is like mission accomplished. There, sure. So. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of 20 Years of Nitro. Be sure and check us out soon uh, on Worldwide because this is a f- really fascinating uh, week in wrestling that we're going to be talking about. Uh, this There's some big, big stuff uh, going on with both companies, mainly with the WWF. Uh, but we've got a lot to – and actually ECW in the mix as well because uh, there's news uh, on their front that's going to be uh, really big for them. So I'm really actually excited for uh, the stuff we're going to talk about on Worldwide. Uh, be sure and look for that one, and you'll find it, <laughs> well, right here in your podcast feed. Mm-hmm. Right here where the big boys play. 20 years of Nitro. I need a release from... On your desk to wrestle, I got a match tonight. You can't do this.